Alright, and welcome to the Rory's Nitro podcast, the show that rips up the buy rates and TV ratings and declares our own winner in some of pro wrestling's biggest head-to-head battles. I'm your host, Lee Carlos Cunningham, joined once again by the better half of the Then Now Whatever uh, podcast, the better half because he's not the Triple H mark, it's Duncan Joyner. <laughs> <things. laughs> oh, I'm thrilled to be back here, Lee. Yeah, it's great to be here. Hope you're doing well. I'm doing very well. Uh, we don't sleep in my household anymore since the birth of my second <laughs> daughter, uh, but other than that, things are great. <laughs> Nice one. And we're, of course, back here today to go back in time, back to our WWE versus TNA mini Monday Night War series. But before we get to the actual Monday Night War, we're going to the first pay-per-view after the initial battle, which is going to be the Royal Rumble up against Genesis 2010. So are you excited for this one? Oh, yes. This is a very interesting time. Um, I have a lot of preconceptions about these two shows, but we'll see how they change as we talk through it. Yeah, well, this is, for me, a period of time that I've never seen. I didn't watch anything in 2010, so this was a big jump for me. Wow, really? Um, well, well, we'll get more into it, uh, but yeah, I was pretty... This is when I was like, sort of really properly, solidly following TNA, and have been for about 12 months. And... Actually, I do tell a lie, because on the last show we did together, I said that I watched the Bret Hart episode of Raw, which I did watch, and then I didn't watch anything mm-hmm. until the 2014 Royal Rumble. Oh, boy, that's quite a stretch. Mm big gap i did watch a lot of classic wrestling in the time before podcasts were a thing though so i didn't tell anyone about it (laughs) (laughs) so the shows here we've got uh genesis which is tna's pay-per-view coming to us from the impact zone in orlando florida um 1100 people in attendance and best estimate i could find on the web for a buy rate was eight to fifteen thousand this sounds extremely low but tna buy rates are a little bit hard to come by so have you read anything that that might differ from that not for this show, but it wouldn't surprise me. Like, I think their record buy rate up to this point in time was locked down 2008, and that was still only something in the region of 60 to 80,000 buys. Okay, so maybe not too far off the mark then, but yeah, very, very low figure here, especially considering, obviously, the influx of talent, which we're going to talk about soon. Mm. And the Royal Rumble, on the flip side, comes to us from the Phillips Arena in Atlanta, Georgia, and drew 465,000 buyers worldwide, I believe that is, and an attendance of 16,967. It's a pretty healthy business there for the Rumble. Yeah, typically. I'm used to, like, half a million is, like, the typical figure I get in my head for Rumbles. All pay-per-views were kind of going down a tube a little bit at this point in time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's for me pretty solid business decent crowd as well nearly near enough to seventeen thousand. so golfing class there is humongous especially considering the shots that are going to be fired in the wwe's direction here (laughs) oh yes maybe a little bit premature but we'll get there pretty quickly um and of course we've got um the three world titles on the go in the wwe at the moment so we've got the ecw the uh, world heavyweight and the wwe championship all in play here and tna the same old belts that we've had we're not yet i believe at the legends title that's not come up yet is that right it's uh, not at this point it was called the global title i believe but i can't remember who had it i think it was eric young but we've not seen him in how our timeline yet Okay, so maybe something interesting still to come up in the near future then. Um, before we get into the breakdown of the two shows, um, any thoughts on the state of wrestling in general at this time? Do you have many memories about it? A great deal, actually, yeah. Um, the winter, well, the, the tail end of 2009 from TNA's standpoint, 
the t- they had two kind of pay-per-views between Bound for Glory and when Hogan came in, and they were probably the best, the two best TNA pay-per-views I've ever seen. They were stellar, top-quality shows. I deliberately, I've wound up finding them on DVD, but I deliberately didn't watch them coming into doing this because I didn't want them to so kind of <laughs> come raise my expectations or sort of colour my, uh, my thoughts on this too much. Um, WWE's end of things, I felt 2008 was one of their best ever pay-per-views, uh, best ever years on pay-per-view, and 2009 things just kind of started to dip and sour a bit. But they, they were trying to hand with some new people. Okay. So that that's pretty much far superior to any knowledge I've got of the time periods. I've got nothing to add on that <laughs> one. <laughs> We've got to go back a little bit further for me to give you in-depth analysis on the year. Um, which show did you watch first? I watched Genesis first. All right. So you want to head on in and do it? Any other thoughts before we, we jump in? Or do you want to dive straight into the action? Let's get right to it. I'm sure lots of stuff is going to come up here. When I was born, when I was born, when I was born, I was born with a dream. I was born with a gift, a vision, a yearning, a desire to be the best that I could be, to be the best at what I do, to be the best in the world. When I was a boy, I had a dream. A dream to become. A dream to become. A dream to become. A dream to be standing on top of the world. That's why I do the things that I do. Why I dedicate my soul. Why I struggle. And sacrifice. Suffer. And suffer. Why I endure the agony. The pain. The pain. This is who I am. This is who I am. This is who I am. This is what I do. I was born to do this. To be here on this stage. On this night. I was born. I was born. I was born to be a champion. I was born to be a champion. 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 And now, TNA Wrestling presents Genesis. Alright, so we're in Genesis 2010, commentary team, uh, the classic TNA commentary team of Mike Tanay and Taz, and we open up with a bit of a hype video uh, for the pay-per-view, and it's really themed around why I suffer, why I'm here, and shows a lot of the main event guys. What did you think about the opening here? It's literally biblical. <laughs> they needed Freddie Blassie. Oh, in the dark days of man. <laughs> I loved at one point, it was like going through like the progression of humanity and like the sunrises, and then uh, they made the leap of 
putting people in space to AJ, AJ Styles posing in his fireworks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's a real natural progression for me of humanity there. <laughs> One small step. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so from there, we open the pay-per-view, not with a match, but with Eric Bischoff and Hulk Hogan coming out to a huge pop and some good pyro. So um, not a bad way to open up there. And they did come out to a, what I call the bastardized version of Voodoo Child on the entrance. Um, I don't know if you've listened to the Music of the Mutt episode that covers NWO themes yet, Not but yet, I didn't no. realise, well, this tune, they cover a lot of the NWO knockoffs, and this music was actually what was used in the Nitro and Thunder PlayStation games in place of the NWO theme. Oh, really? Yeah. So it all ties together then. Mm. You mentioned the pyro as well. It was cued by probably the laziest ear cup I've ever seen Hulk Hogan do. <laughs> the uh, phoning it in ear cup. <laughs> yeah. So then Hulk welcomes us to the new impact zone, which immediately switches his response 180 degrees with the crowd because, well, lo and behold, we've got a four-sided ring. <laughs> he did a 360, brother. <laughs> and um, we actually get a chant of We Want Six Sides, which I found hilarious. Uh, they were solidly behind this. Hogan, of course, immediately turns on the crowd and says, that could only take you so far with six sides, and you've got to get used to these changes because there's a lot more coming. Yeah, he says, no more stinking playpin rings. This is where we, this is where we shed our blood, sets, and tears. <laughs> and Bischoff pretty much just backs up Hulk, which so far, the two shows I've watched seems to be the theme of Bischoff and Hogan. Bischoff is like Hogan's sort of lackey at this point in time, the way it looks to me. But one line from Bischoff that really stuck in my head here was, he goes, nobody likes change. Well, change is what we're all about. <laughs> but nobody likes you, then. That makes perfect sense. And um, Hogan, of course, ends on the classic line here. What you going to do, Vince McMahon? Now TNA is coming for you, brother or sister. <laughs> what the what? fuck? <laughs> um, I don't think Vince was sweating it just yet. I don't think so here. This opening promo, it really just feels like the, there are two guys that have come in and kind of taken the company hostage here. Yeah, it's very much as though they think just by coming in that the tide has turned, but, I mean, it's quite clear to see there's a lot of work to do to get anywhere near the landscape of WWE. Definitely. I also found it funny, Hogan decrying uh, the WWE and their sports entertainment stick. You know, <laughs> the fact that he was, like, the better half of uh, Donkey's years. Pretty, pretty... Like, there's a real pro wrestling brother. <laughs> if Vince McMahon is the father, then Hulk Hogan's got to be at least a pretty close uncle. Yeah. So, from there, we do get our first match of the evening, which is going to be Amazing Red defending his X-Division title up against a mystery opponent, and we're told it's the first of two mystery opponents for the night, and I was actually, um, not knowing who this was going to be, was quite surprised. It was Brian Kendrick. Yes. Brian Kendrick, I believe, is another guy who worked Hogan's Hulkamania Australia tour, hence this connection. Um, I found it funny... The Titantron comes up and the BK initials come up. And there's some, might just be one woman but, or several, go mental, scream really wildly at just the initials. Coming, like, ah, my God, like, you don't know who it is yet. <laughs> but maybe they thought it was Billy Kidman. 
<laughs> maybe what did you think to kendrick's music by the way um i didn't think much of it to be perfectly honest it didn't it didn't do it's just literally like a violin solo it was broken matt hardy's friend antonio stradivarius <laughs> it um it didn't register register too much with me so it obviously um maybe it's just the late nights and um the sound being a little bit too low in my house at the moment <laughs> Um, we'll get the match underway, and we get a nice little uh, chain wrestling sequence from Red and Kendrick here. So going on the mat early doors, um, Kendrick goes into a camel clutch, and then he puts in the the bully lock. Um, I think that's got a new name since he's re-signed, isn't, hasn't it? But it's not coming to me at the moment. And um, Amazing Red fires back with a roll-up for a, a two-count before Kendrick gets one of his own, and Amazing Red snaps off a beautiful Hurricane Rana to end the sequence. Red is really, really fast in this match. It's so incredible how crispy he is. Um, Kendrick comes back with a, um, a spear to the knee and then drop kicks Red to the outside uh, before Kendrick then begins working over, over the leg. And it's pretty early in this match that I have my first real beef with TNA and it's the crazy camera switches. Did you pick up on that? Oh no! Um, I was too busy. I was too distracted by. Did you see who was in the front row making her first appearance? Yes, I did. Uh, the one and only Brooke Hogan. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> she she seems um, she seems quite light red as well. She just to me, uh, I I don't know. Have you did you ever see that picture online where it was I think Hulk Hogan's face with like Brooke in his beard? Oh dear God. That's all I can picture what I see her now, that she's just like part of Hulk Hogan. <laughs> if you've not seen it, look it up. It's pretty funny. Um, but yeah, I the camera switches here were doing my head in. I've, I listen to a lot of wrestling podcasts, yours obviously, um, and a lot of them talk about production and things like that, and particularly camera angles. And, it's not, and even like calling spots in the ring, as you guys were talking about in your last episode, it's not something I pick up on. I always just think I'm maybe a little bit dense to this stuff. But here... They'd be in a headlock, and there would be a side camera, and it would flip to the face, then back to the side, then back to the face, all within sort of a 10-second headlock spot, and I just, it was doing my head in. Yeah, I mean, yeah, these things tend to go over my head quite a bit as well. I think I was surprisingly immune to that period where they had, where people would throw a punch, and the camera would zoom in on a punch, and out and out, and in and out as the punches went and stuff. Previous to this, I think my only real gripe with production is the current WWE um, slowdown speed up replays. They drive me nuts as well. <laughs> so, what, what's it? What's it supposed to add? I don't understand. No, me neither. But camera angles aside, um, I've got here that we go to a um, a sky shot, which zooms in on the ass of the competitors, which is a, a little bit of a strange one as well. Before Red comes back with a drop kick, which sends Kendrick to the outside, and then comes off the top rope with a beautiful somersault to the floor, which gets huge TNA chance. He comes back with a huge missile, missile drop kick for a two count, and then Kendrick fires back with a half crab before Red nails an Enziguri, and then climb the climb the ladder drop kick in the corner, which was pretty impressive as well, sort of running up in before hitting the kick to the face. Red hits a flying head scissors for a two count before Kendrick hits a nice leg lariat and a spring springboard sunset flip bomb, um, which is the code red, but I didn't... I'd already written that before <laughs> before they told me. Picks up the three count for Amazing Red in a pretty decent little opener here. It's a really good sort of fast-paced, high-flying with a bit of map stuff mixed in. What did you think? Yeah, I've got a lot of time for this match. Kendrick's heat got perhaps a little bit samey uh, maybe a tad over long in the middle but it was peppered with some really really good comebacks from amazing red they had a couple of miscommunication issues which you know was a given it's the first time wrestling each other but oh, one thing i will say about kendrick's heat that i really liked 
he kind of had this like inverted STF yes. deal out of his half crab. Oh, it's brilliant. There mustn't be too many guys with the flexibility that he can do that with. No, he's so adept in working so many different styles in the ring as well as personas. I'm a big Brian Kendrick fan, actually. And mm-hmm. also, a lot to be said for one-on-one competition in the X Division Cruiserweight. Like, I hate the fact that they always get thrown into these multi-man clusterfucks. I actually really enjoyed this. So, yeah, very good way to start the show, yeah. Yeah, so thumbs up to begin with. Let's see if they can carry on on this st- this steep climb to the top. Um but my concerns maybe pop up pretty early here because we go backstage with Hulk and Eric Bischoff and they are with Kevin Nash, uh, Scott Hall and Six Park he's known as here despite the fact that Taz can't get that down for the night and they have, <laughs> they have all let themselves go. Uh, they look terrible. I don't think I'm... I'm I'm speaking out of school here, but Nash has got the long grey hair. Scott Hall has got sort of the half-tucked-in T-shirt trying his best to hide hide the belly and Six Park looks like he's not slept in a month. <laughs> it's rough. Anyway, Hulk tells them not to mess up their only shot, and the implication here, it's not outright said, but basically the gist of it is Nash has got a contract already, so he'll be in a tag team match, partnering with one of the other two, and then they decide that with Paper Scissors Rock, and Six Park wins, Scott Hall asks for best two out of three, ties the score, and like any good two out of three falls match, we go to a final decider, and Six Park thankfully gets the win, because I can't imagine Scott Hall working on this night. Not this night, no. The implication from Hulk here is very careful his wording. He's like, oh, this may be your final shot, bro. Like, what do you mean, maybe? You're the boss, make the decision now, come on. I didn't even like the um the to Kevin Nash like it was just a throwaway line but you've already got the contract like it's like they're signed I don't know it just to me it just sounded clunky. Mm. We go to our next match though which is Sean Morley up against the fallen angel Christopher Daniels and um Sean Morley comes comes out and cuts the pre-match promo a la Val Venus with the classic line you're going to witness the rise of Sean Morley and the fall of an angel which was quite good. What wasn't so good is Sean Morley, bald, a little bit pudgy, throwing back to the Val Venus gimmick without looking anything like a porn star. What did you think of that? It wasn't the only thing that was hinting back to his Val Venus gimmick. Did you notice his Titan trend? No, I didn't. Oh, boy. So it was all your typical stuff like drills going into holes, cars being fueled, you know. At one point, I swear to God, there was actual tortoise sex on the trunk. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly. That, I've got to go back and watch that. That sounds amazing. Oh, seriously. Have you ever seen that YouTube video when a, like there's this tortoise that's humping a shoe? No. It just reminded me of that. <laughs> That's two things I've got to go back and watch after this. <laughs> uh, yeah, sorry as well. They had a recap from... They had a confrontation the previous week on Impact. Daniels downed Morley with an STO and his best moonsault ever. And Morley still got to make a comeback. Yeah, I did see that in the in the, in the hype video as well. Um, that, yeah, oh, it's... This is, this is a problem that we're going to discuss in great detail as we go here, but these old Fed guys coming in and making a bit of a mockery of the stars. Um, <laughs> Christopher Daniels comes out, cuts a promo back on Morley, heels on the crowd, uh, who were firmly supporting their original, and then heels on Brooke Hogan ringside as well. So I wonder if that was impromptu and how that went down. I was going to ask, did you hear this as well? It sounded like he threatened to slap her. Yeah, he did. <laughs> oh, God. I, I just imagine him getting backstage and Hulk saying, mm, that's not going to work for me, brother. 
Um, it come, gets in the ring, sticks a finger in Val's face, but before we can get underway, takes a powder and really sort of playing up the heel antics here. Um, when they do lock up, Daniels comes out with some nice palm thrusts before Val Venus hits his classic PlayStation offense of whipping to the um, the ropes, following him with a knee twice, and then the Russian leg sweep for a two count. Um, that took me straight back to SmackDown 1. Daniels comes back, though, with a flying clothesline, a triangle choke, and some chops. Uh, a bulldog onto the rope, which was a little bit cool as well. Really thought that looked pretty decent. And then chokes him in the ropes with his legs. So some pretty unique offense here from Christopher Daniels, who I've always had a soft spot for. Um, he hits a split-legged moonsault off the middle of the ropes as well, which was quite cool. I've never been a big fan of guys doing variations of their finisher as a, as a normal move, though. So a bit of a no-no for me. You see, they call it a split-legged moonsault, but when does he actually split his legs? <laughs> yeah, it's more just... He a... just kind of, like, runs his bum over the top of it, so I call it bum-to-rope springboard moonsault. Which is a pretty accurate description. <laughs> <laughs> they, um, they trade punches. Val hits a clothesline and a couple of elbows. Uh, a suplex. He puts him up for a suplex, but drops him gut-first on the ropes. Then hits his sort of sit-out power bomb, a la the John Cena... Um, or Sami Zayn Blue Thunderbomb, which gets him a two count. Well, the Blue Thunderbomb, or as Tanae calls it, this, you know, wizard of wrestling knowledge, the power move. <laughs> the professors maybe had a semester off, eh? <laughs> maybe. Um, he comes back with a double underhook suplex, and Daniels locks in the Koji clutch, which he rolls into a pin, um, so Daniels has to break. Hits a nice STO for a two count, followed by a rock bottom type suplex, and misses the best moonsault ever, allowing Val to get back in control with a half Nelson slam, which was pretty good. Goes up top, but gets caught. However, he blocks the Rana attempt, and comes off the top rope with the money shot for a clean as a whistle, one, two, three, for the aging star from the other company. Can you remember the first thing Taz said about this matchup? No, what was it? Physical matchup! <laughs> yep, that's pretty much every match ever. <laughs> but um, Exactly. I've, I, it's a bit of a come down after the first match. It wasn't awful by any stretch, but definitely the wrong winner. Um, and this is, for me, early doors setting the wrong precedent that the stars that have built this company are going to be trodden over for the ex-WWE guys, which I guess, if you've watched your wrestling history, you know happened in WCW as well and was quite successful, but it still rubs me the wrong way here. I feel exactly the same way. Yeah, there was some decent action in this match, which I thought was pretty much the majority Daniels match. Like, his heat segment, working Val's throat, that's the way you do a heat segment. There's really interesting stuff in there. I just find it completely laughable. Daniels was in the world title match the past two pay-per-views, and he goes to this. Yeah, complete waste of talent. So it was a little bit of a letdown. Um, and probably not the last strange booking decision we'll see on the evening, though. This match is a bit infamous as well. So at some point, fans chanted at Brooke to sit down. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, it's um, roundabout. Daniels had the Koji clutch, and Brooke was like really into it. Like, no, come on, Val, and fans like, sit down, Brooke, sit down, Brooke. Oh, I bet that was when she was waving Val's towel. Oh yes, I'll, I'll get to that as well. Did you, so yeah, he she got Val's towel. Did you see when Daniels was getting out of the ring? He grabbed it and rubbed his face on it. Yeah, I did see that actually. That was brilliant. Uh, the other reason this match is quite infamous as well is the number of front row fans who turned their back on the match when Val won. Oh, really? I didn't see that either. So mm -hmm. interesting stuff. I've got to open my eyes a bit better for the next one then, I guess. 
Um, from here, we go to our next match, which is Tara, a.k.a. Victoria from the WWE, up against ODB defending the Knockouts Championship. Um, and we get a bit of a hype video, and we see that Tara puts her spider, which is poison, I believe it was called. On the poison, bell- yeah. On the belly of ODB, and this line is my absolute line of the night. <laughs> when ODB says, you think putting that spider on my belly, you think that's the dirtiest thing that's been on my belly? That just tickled me pink. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. Disgusting, but pretty funny. <laughs> um, so this one's going to be two out of three falls. Um, ODB had just recently won the title from Tara, and she starts off with the offense, getting a fistful of hair, uh, before Tara fires back with a spear and a standing moonsault. Really cool. Um, comes back with some chops and kicks and an enziguri, and a slingshot leg uh, over the ropes for a two count, before ODB catches hold of her and nails her with the old SOS sack of shit slam. Nips up, which is pretty cool as well, but early on, Tara gets a small package for the one, two, three, and picks up the first fall. Mm. The enziguri from Tara, she really caught ODB in the face with her knee brace. It had a really, really big sonorous ring to it. Ouch. Yeah, and Tanae quipped as well, a knockout shot. <laughs> I love a good pun. <laughs> He'd get on well with Becky Lynch. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so small package. I'm sure they'll have a lot of pun together. Oh. <laughs> oh, this could get ugly before this is over. <laughs> um, Tara then locks in the tarantula on the rope, so another another one there. We could keep going. <laughs> She's doing the tarantula because she's got a tarantula. Inception, this is not. (laughs) Uh, Before ODB drops uh, Tara from a fireman's carry face first to the apron in a really cool spot. I thought that was awesome. Flips her back in the ring by a hair, gets a two count off that, before putting on a body scissors and rolling around with her, which was another really cool, very old school spot, um, which Taz and Tanae tell us will sort of mess with the uh, the balance and, and the equilibrium of Tara. So some good commentary there. Really back to the old school days. Um, puts it back on before hitting a nice running power slam for a two count. But then out of nowhere, again, Tara hits the Widow's Peak for the three count. Wins the match in two straight falls to take back a title. What did you think about that booking? Yeah, that, it, it felt completely out of nowhere to me. That was the one thing that detracted really strongly from this match, in my view. Just the the flow of it fell completely off. You have this really long spell of control from ODB and then Tara, basically 2005 scene, is it? Yeah, it was... Um, and both both falls seemingly coming from out of nowhere as well, which is a, a strange booking mm-hmm. decision. Um, interesting booking aside, I thought... I, this is going to sound a little bit sexist, but for a women's match at the time, I thought this was pretty decent. Um, Tara could always go. I remember a particular highlight of... 2000s women wrestling for me was the um the hardcore match she had with Trish Stratus I think at Survivor Series so it was only short but at the time nothing like anything you saw so I was a big Victoria or Tara fan and I thought this was okay but probably not the best usage of her no I think like a lot of the female athletes at the time got hired for their looks and things. These were two people who were, although Tara's background is in fitness modeling, these were two people who were hired to be the workers of the division. And they had, they had some cool looking offense in this. It's just a shame that the booking kind of laid down for me. Yeah. From there, we go backstage with Christy Hemi, who is interviewing Pope D'Angelo De Niro. Um, just quick side note on the Pope. 
I've only watched two or three TNA shows from this time period, but he's quickly becoming a fast favourite of mine. Um, some really good promo he cuts here on Desmond Wolf hyping their upcoming match. Hope D'Angelo De Niro tonight. The big white. First things first, baby. Somebody told me that we're having a party right here tonight in Orlando, Florida. Now, it could be because Pope has arrived, but I can almost put my money on it that it's all going down right here tonight at Genesis because Pope is pimping. You understand what I'm saying, baby? I gotcha, I gotcha. But the, the big question for tonight is, what is going to happen between you and Desmond Wolf? Well, if history serves as any indication, everybody knows what went down on January 4th between the Roof One and their Pope. Now, Ruffy, he's a tough character. Ruffy's a technical genius inside that ring. And yes, Ruffy even looks like a character that came out of a trash can on Sesame Street. But let's get one thing straight. Ruffy is not, nor will he ever be, the charismatic, pimptacular, hand clapping, foot tapping, pimp slapping, blinging attire, always on fire. Chrissy, I'm so hot. Go to Dairy Queen and get Pope a Sunday. You understand what I'm saying? Tonight, Ruffy, bring your best, baby, because Pope will be, as always, bringing his. Uh, but what did you think about that? He calls Wolf Ruffy again, doesn't he? He does. <laughs> But yeah, I do. I really like the kind of like Billy Graham style wordplay he uses in this promo. It's very good. Yeah. So he's um. Hopefully, I'm looking forward to seeing some more of him on the upcoming shows. Uh, having said that, I bet he gets sacked on the next episode or something. <laughs> I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. Awesome. So we go to our next matchup, which is a tag team championship match: the British Invasion defending up against Super Mex Hernandez and the Blueprint Matt Morgan. Um, I bet you're going to tell me something about a Titan Tron here, aren't you? Oh, no, um, I was more focused on Matt Morgan's theme, actually. It was very, like, um, it actually sounded rather good. I'm sure it was a rip-off of someone. But it... I couldn't put my finger on it. I didn't mind it, but what caught my attention there was the um, the old... Do you remember when the big boss man came back in, like, oh, 98, 99, maybe, whenever it was? Yeah. And he just had the, the entrance video, which was, like, one video clip of him hitting someone with a nightstick and his name popping up. Well, Matt Morgan's here was pretty similar. It was just constantly a move, their Matt Morgan blueprint on the screen. And they're both walking out to this. I just found it pretty awkward. I uh, see. I thought you were going to... Um, I thought you had in mind the British Invasion's like Beatles-style font. <laughs> no, I didn't catch that one. So we've um, picked apart the, the two entrances between us. When we get the match underway, Morgan fires off a nice shoulder block and Magnus bails pretty early on here to avoid a choke slam and tags in Doug Williams. Hernandez comes in and blocks a suplex before Williams slides out too, but Hernandez backdrops um, one of them over... Oh, sorry, he does yeah. a big backdrop and they over-rotate. That's what I wanted to say. Yes, really rough landing for Williams there. Yeah, it looked, looked, looked ugly. And then he hits a huge beal, which I'm a big fan of that move, especially on power guys, um, and goes for a power bomb. But Magnus Chop blocks him, which gets the Brits a two count before they hit a nice double suplex and a double hangman neckbreaker. Some cool tandem offense here from the British Invasion. Definitely. Doug Williams is a very useful undercard guy at this point in time. Uh, but one thing about Magnus... Something about him looks a bit strange to me at this um, point in time. But Tanae keeps calling him Brutus Magnus. When he started out in TNA, he started out as this like gladiator-type knockoff guy. 
And he had like all Romany gear, and then they paired him with Williams and put him in the, the World Elite stable. But he's still calling like as if he's still like this gladiator guy. Bit of an off night for today. Yeah, definitely. They get some more good double team offense here. Going back again, old school here, the abdominal stretch with the help from the outside of the ring. Before the ref finds it and does one of my favorite referee spots, kicks the hands to break them up. <sighs> the cheek of this guy just. If he's using the ropes, count him. You've got a fire counter utilised. It's an old Earl Hebner spot, but it's one that always tickles me. Oh, dear. Um, Hernandez drops Magnus flat on his face before Matt Morgan comes in and hits that lovely swinging slam that I always liked of his, even when he was in the WWE for that, that brief stint, um, and goes to work on Magnus with some elbows on, and then goes back onto Doug Williams before hitting what I described as a wedgie throw into the turnbuckles for a two count, basically lifting him up by his pants and throwing him straight into the corner. Uh, I called it a reverse choke slam. Because he kind of, like, grasps the trapezoid at the back. Either way, good offense, though. Really good power stuff. Um, mm. Doug Williams comes back with a top rope elbow before all four come in, and it breaks down pretty quickly, allowing Matt Morgan to hit a nice choke slam for a two count, and then a German suplex by Doug Williams for a two count. Hernandez shoulders Doug Williams out of the ring, then hits a uh, dominator, pretty much a dominator there, and then allows Matt Morgan to hit a pump kick to the face for the one, two, three, and a second title change of the night for new tag team champions. Mm. Um, Williams bumped like a boss for Hernandez's shoulder break, uh, shoulder block. Yeah, I, I actually, I thought um, Hernandez and Matt Morgan looked really strong in this, so fair play to the British Invasion because they put them over very strongly. Yeah, they've been having a decent spell, really, going into this show. It's kind of like putting the two hot singles guys in as a tag team, as like a super team. It feels like a very WWE move. Yeah. Because, you know, they, they don't know what they're going to do with them immediately. But they did very well for themselves in this match. And I liked British Invasion as well. Doug Williams is just a gem. And it had a nice flow, especially after Morgan got the hard tag. I was um, watching this and the bits of TNA I have watched with Matt Morgan. I'm surprised he never went any further than what he did in WWE because he's got everything Vince normally loves about him. But yeah, yeah for sure. decent match here. Um, we go backstage then and Lashley storms in on Eric Bischoff who was chatting to Abyss and goes a little bit over the top towards Bischoff. So Abyss steps in, nails him and then grabs Eric Bischoff's computer screen and smashes it over the head of Lashley, knocking him out cold. Yeah, I couldn't quite see what he hit him with here. Yeah, I was like, laptop or what? Yeah, and um, Bischoff gets up, and this really, again, tickled me here, where he goes to chastise Abyss, and he goes, there goes our main, uh, our semi-main event. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was in jeopardy anyway, because um, I don't know if you caught in the opening match they were talking about Lashley was apparently refusing to wrestle. Yeah, um, and that came from um, the, the show we did together where he was protesting with um with crystal in the ring so it's a, it's a crystal, yeah. interesting storyline i'm actually looking forward to see where that one's heading hogan then comes into the room and bischoff explains what's happened and he tells abyss not to worry about it because he's got someone he can face he'll still get his match and he wants to see him step up to the plate yeah he wants him to put all his hardcore stuff in a teeny package and keep it in the locker room <laughs> yeah um a bit of an interesting pep talk from the hulkster and telling him to do less is definitely a hulk hogan piece of advice uh bit of a <laughs> bit of a shoot on camera there i think 
<laughs> we then go to our next matchup, which is one I was looking forward to. Desmond Wolf, a.k.a. Nigel McGuinness, up against Pope D'Angelo De Niro. So this one should be decent. And um, did you notice? You probably did notice being a TNA fan at the sign, but uh, Desmond Wolf gives the the classic UK Vs <laughs> as like his um, yes, it does. hand gesture. I'm like, how does he get away with that? <laughs> Because Americans don't understand what it means. That that one definitely got a smile out of me. And um, when we when the match gets underway, I've got um that the girl that Desmond Wolf comes out with. Sorry, before the match gets underway, the girl Desmond Wolf comes out with goes to do the old Sherry and Shaw Michaels, you know, de-pantsing and can't get the zipper undone. So when she goes to snap the trousers off him, just completely fucks it up. Taz quips, she's experienced with zippers. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Taz. Uh, I wonder if she'll hear that line and take exception. Well, um, going back to Taz as well. So, Pope had, like, fake money raining from the ceiling in his entrance, and Taz was properly getting on the fans' backs for grabbing it. It's like, get a job, for God's sakes! <laughs> Harsh Taz. <laughs> you lucky they don't You lucky they don't have a job. <laughs> Impact would only be empty, like, you know. <laughs> Touché. When we do get underway, Pope hits a nice crescent kick, followed by a big clothesline, before uh, Wolf hits a nice handstand buckle kick, a la um, Jack Gallagher. Jack Gallagher, yeah. Yeah, so that, that was pretty cool. Sends Pope to the outside, um, and then puts a Boston Crab on Pope on the ropes, which was a little bit of an interesting one there. It's a nice second rope fish drop. Before Pope comes back... Um, Sorry, Pope hurts his knee on a Desmond attack before a snap mare on the leg to the ropes by Desmond Wolf to the Pope here. Some very good leg-based offense, but mixing it up with some nice sort of um, wrestling moves that are just aimed slightly differently to attack the knee. Yeah, definitely. The sort of European style of focusing on the limb and doing some different kind of offense in his heat is really working well for Desi. Yeah, I was very impressed. Um, he's all over the leg. Hits a nice drop toe hold before locking in an STF and then a nice drop kick to the knee while Taz on commentary loudly ponders what a wanker is. Yes, because I marked out so hard. Des just randomly got, just calls everyone wankers. It was great. Flipping the V, calling you a wanker. Uh, they'll have you taken off the air over there in no time. Uh, one thing that did irritate me, though, um, I can't remember which exact hold Pope was in, but he, he was like crawling in it and he crawled away from the ropes. Yeah, that always drives me nuts. I, I always hate it when like they get put in a move and they're close enough to grab the ropes, but they do the big sort of arching arm, which no one can see <laughs> you, but you know what I mean? Um, Pope does fire back with a nice looking STA. Big fan of that move, me. I especially loved it when Brock Lesnar did it in his early days. Um, and then hits what I can only describe as a snap brain buster for a two count. Very cool looking move. Yeah, like a small package brain buster. He like cradles the legs in at the same time. Yeah, awesome. Um, I've got Immense. here Desmond pretzels the leg around the post before Pope fights back again, coming in with a small package for a two count. A roll up for a two count, a neck breaker on the ropes for a two count, and then an Alabama slam for a two count as well, which is um, really heating the match up nicely here. I was very impressed with this sequence. Pope then. Sets up uh, for a big knee, but he's too slow, allowing Desmond Wolf to hit the lariat for a three. In a bit of a surprising finish. I thought we were building towards a, a Pope comeback here, but a pretty solid match. I liked this. I really enjoyed this match as well. I think, you know, while it's typical 50-50 booking, oh, Wolfie gets his win back, Desmond had just come off two pay-per-view losses to Kurt Angle, so he really was the one that needed 
the win a lot more, even though Pope is clearly the one with, with momentum. This is a um, a good introduction to me, really, for Nigel McGuinness as well, someone I've obviously heard of, and, you know, I've never really seen much of his work, so for me, this was a real treat. I, I definitely enjoyed this. Oh, the vast majority of it came from this period of time in TNA for me, because... This is roundabout. I was only a couple of years into uni, but all I could get to see of ROH were the like video wires they do weekly on the YouTube channel. Yeah. So I had very, I had very little exposure to their in-ring product. I'm just starting to branch out back into some new wrestling recently as well. So I watched my first ever episode of Lucha Underground last night and enjoyed that thoroughly. Oh, is it on Australian Netflix yet? Or no, I watched it by a slightly less than legal means. <laughs> uh, I watched the first episode of season two for anyone wondering as well. Thought it was highly enjoyable. I particularly loved the um, opening video with Matt Striker and Vampiro. Oh, very good. I used to they used to post like their match of the week on their YouTube channel, but then they started geo blocking it so you couldn't watch it out of America. So I was like, okay, so do you? I'll go and watch it by other means. Then. Absolutely. Uh, let me pay for it, and I will. Otherwise, I'm still going to watch it. Yep. Uh, we then get Jeremy Borash about to give an interview backstage, but Bischoff comes in and basically suspends him, I would say. Says he's not going to be on TV anymore, but he'll find a job parking cars or something like that. Christy Hemmings just happens to be walking by, who can double up her workload for the night. Comes in, takes over, Bischoff leaves, and then Flair comes in, more than likely breaking the heart of Triple H. <laughs> he comes in and it doesn't really say much of anything, but I do notice he seems to be wearing his WWE Hall of Fame ring. <laughs> oh, foreshadowing. Yeah, so um, a little bit of a, a weird segment here. I didn't know what Borash has done to upset Bischoff, and Flair being there didn't serve really any purpose, so just a bit of a, a bit of filler there. JB and Bischoff, I think, goes all the way back to WCW. Borash got started to get his big break as an on-air guy under Russo, and then when Bischoff tried his attempt at a takeover before Vince got in, he, he cut a few bits and pieces for budget stuff, and JB was one of them. So. Oh, okay. The first I ever saw of Borash was on the um, the first sort of wrestling foray into Australia, which was like, res- I think, WWA or something it was called, World Wrestling All-Stars, mm. and it had Bret Hart as the commissioner, Jeff Jarrett was the big star. Um, that's probably the first I ever heard of Jeremy Borash myself, so that's interesting to find out. From there, we get a bit of a hype video for the band as... Uh, the old NWO guys are being called here, which is not the worst name in the world, up against Beer Money, and pretty good video, really highlighted Beer Money there. Yeah, well, um, this is definitely a bit of a downgrade for Beer Money, though. Yeah, um, not knowing much of their previous work, I went in with a, not really much expectations. I'm a, now a big fan of Bobby Roode, um, but yeah, didn't know. I've seen them before, but not a lot, and nothing in, that really sticks out in memory. Um, as we said earlier, it's going to be Six Pack and Nash up against Beer Money, uh, and we get a really horrible knockoff of the NWO theme. Was this one on Music of the Bat as well? It was indeed, yeah. I'm definitely going to have to go and check that episode out now. Um, I've got here as well, before we get underway, that Bobby Roode and James Storm, Bobby Roode just slightly edges it on the better NXT run. <laughs> Only slightly. <laughs> um, Storm comes in and, and kicks six to start with, hits a nice couple of arm drags, a knee buster and a neck breaker, both earning him a two count, before we get a double team inverted atomic drop, followed by a leg sweep for a two count, but Nash comes in and starts pounding on Bobby Roode. Nash looks very, very old. 
<laughs> yep. He then um, goes back to his diesel days, no-selling a couple of clotheslines, before Bobby Roode fires up off the ropes and nails him with a big flying clothesline for a two-count. We get a wishbone from Beer Money on Nash, and then we drop Toehold 6 into the balls of Kevin Nash, and... Um, Taz, again, as we alluded to earlier, says he's been nailed by X-Puck. Oops, I mean Six-Puck. Uh, call him Y-Puck. And just fucking explodes with the fumbles here. He cannot get his words out. Oh, dear. Six-Puck comes in, and he gets on the offense, hitting that lovely snap leg drop. And Mike today waxes lyrical over it. I thought I was the only person that appreciated that leg drop, but apparently not. Um, it's a nice spin kick, and... Crotch chop, harking back to his DX days before Nash comes in and hits some pounding offense in the corner and a choke, which is most of his offense, really. Uh, gets back out. We get a double team on James Storm. A corner clothesline and a Bronco Buster by Six Puck, so we're really going back to the old days here. Nash hits a nice sidewalk slam for a two count. Cuts off the tag from uh, Storm to Rude before Storm fires back with a code breaker. And then hits... Um, we get Rude in for three clotheslines and a huge backdrop. Uh, puts the boots to Nash. Uh, sorry, gets booted by Nash. Spinebuster by Nash, which is broken up. And then Hall stumbles down the ramp. And this is where things take a bit of a turn for the worst. Hmm. Yeah, um, I don't think we mentioned the ramp yet. It's it's the kind of ramp I don't like where it leads all the way onto the level with a ring apron. Yeah, I hated that in the old WCW days as well. Definitely. And um, when there's a point when Nash cut off the tag and Bobby Roode took a really nasty bump onto the ramp from the apron as well. Yeah, it, it, there's no, it doesn't look good and it must hurt. So that's the double whammy of, of things that just don't work in wrestling. Yeah, and plus it, it, it doesn't work in anybody's favours for like dives and stuff. No, definitely not. Nash hits a choke slam for a two count, which I, I've seen a lot of Kevin Nash matches. I don't remember him ever doing a choke slam. I know, this is the first of me as well. So, I mean, it's your typical big man move, but I've never seen Nash do it, so there you go. Um, Jim Cornette will have to add another move to the count. Oh, Jesus Christ, he's doing six moves now. Is he talking about it? <laughs> but he's taking out the hair whip. <laughs> <laughs> well, because it's so old and grey and shit. <laughs> oh, we're going to get Jim Cornette impersonations in somewhere. Um, Hall then slaps a fan and pulls him over the rail and puts the boots to him. Uh, okay, this is not... Uh, I don't like fan angles, especially when it just looked like he just walked past and clocked him. So Six Puck abandons the match to come and stop him, and this allows Beer Money to get the surprise pin on Nash. Um, I didn't actually catch the first time around how they did it, and then the replay showed us that it was with a super kick. Um, they then exit stage left and Hall gets in the ring with the other two and Hall immediately begins mocking them from the ring in a really bit of a prick move, if I'm being honest, uh, and gives them the old crotch chop himself as well. So uh, what did you think about the match and the aftermatch shenanigans and this business with the fan? The, the fan business, just just why? What what reason is this? Are, are you doing another tasteless playoff Hall's problem thing again? You know? Uh, the match itself was average, really. I liked being on his offense, but it was, just got really dragged down by the band, really. If Scott Hall hadn't come out, we had a passable tag match on our hands. He came out, ruined the ending, and then mocked the winners, and it, it took it all down a level for me. 
We then go to the backstage area with Hogan in the back with Bischoff, and they basically say they're going to call them out Thursday on Impact, which Scott Hall's just beat up a fan on supposedly his last warning. I wouldn't even think they'd be invited to Impact, but that's neither here nor there. Um, Hulk then says it's not what TNA can do for him, but what he can do for TNA, which I think probably wasn't the case, but hey. <laughs> and Eric just... The segment just ends with Eric calling him brilliant. It's like, okay, what, what, what? How was that merited? What, I don't understand. I guess we're going to find out now, though, why that was merited. Um, but before we go to the ring, we get a sign which might forecast some of the problems coming up, and it just says legends equal ratings. Oh, I spotted that as well. Uh, there was another one in like in the front row. It had like it had an arrow pointing to some of the smarky front row fans, and it said, "These people know nothing." <laughs> oh Jesus! Uh, smarks a dirty word with me this week. If you didn't catch my <laughs> my one star <laughs> review, fuck listening to a wrestling podcast and telling me you like marks but not smarks. That is the smarkiest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> Still filthy, Spencer Hand. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> what a stupid fucking name. <laughs> Anywho, <I'm> not, <laughs> I digress. <laughs> it's Abyss up against a mystery opponent. This is the reason for Hulk's uh, patting himself on the back. Darkness falling over the arena, a bit of music. And it is the one and only... To a huge pop. He does his entrance shtick on the ramp as opposed to in the ring for WWE. You know, folks, I, um, I've read your Twitters, your Facebooks, your emails. I know you people missed me. Hey, quite frankly, I missed myself. And this, this, this next little part is something for the history books. Something for, for VHS, for DVD, for Blu-ray, for freaking YouTube. There's only one way to do this, and it goes a little something like this. Weighing in tonight at an absolutely freaking astonishing 235. One quarter pound. He hails from Green Bay, Wisconsin. Uh -oh. Anderson! 
I love this entrance. I always did in WWE, and that alone, I always thought he should have been a superstar. I think backstage politics and some ill-timed injuries cut him short there, but this guy seemingly had it all. What did you think about the debut of Mr. Anderson? To be honest, I thought the promo was a bit shit, really. I liked the entrance, but I did not like the like promo content. Mm-hmm. Like, I like the gimmick of calling his name and stuff. Although... Why is it astonishing that he weighs 235 and a quarter pounds? <laughs> I do not know. That is a very good question. Mm-hmm. The crowd went nuts for Green Bay, Wisconsin, though, didn't they? As soon as he said, hailing from, the crowd just in unison sung along that line. Yeah, as soon as he cut away from his nothing promo and went into his announcer stick. It, it really went back to working again. Yeah, it's one of them where it was a bit like a, a road dog thing where it's the same thing every week, but it just works. Definitely. So we um we come back to the ring and we've got a um we we start off with a slap followed by some sh- uh, a slap back. So they they exchange slaps before we go to some strikes and Kennedy hits a chop block. They brawl on the outside for a while. Uh, Ken Anderson goes to work on the crowd on the arm. Sorry, as the crowd chant "Overrated," which was interesting. It just goes to show you how lackadaisical this performance is so far. Already, they're turning on him. Yeah, I, this early in the match, I actually at the time thought it was harsh, but pretty soon joined joined in. Um, we get a choke on the apron. It's going pretty slow, as we just alluded to there. We get an arm to the post. Before we get a roll-up for a two-count, uh, we get that nice sort of dropping arm breaker from Anderson, which was a favourite um, PlayStation move of mine. Before we get some rapid camera switches, which is, again, doing my head in, um, Abyss comes back with a big boot and an avalanche and a sidewalk slam for a two-count. Before, Anderson avoids a choke slam and hits the shock treatment and then hits a neck breaker for a two. Uh, Taz says that Anderson's looking good, um, but he doesn't look that good to me. His offense has been pretty limited and not done much of anything. Um, Abyss hits a nice choke slam for a two count. The shock treatment for a two count. Grabs a chair, but when he's deliberating whether or not to use it, the referee takes it from him. Anderson pulls out some brass knucks, nails Abyss for the one, two, three in a very average match. Uh, considering the two guys involved, I've seen a little bit of abyss here and there and always enjoyed his work i thought i've always considered him sort of like a mankind cane hybrid and that's a pretty cool combination in my book and anderson i've had a lot of time for but this was crap <sighs> this was just bollocks really completely heatless and useless stuff on anderson's part here i mean you, you do wonder going in what what on earth is he going to do against abyss with the size difference and stuff and apparently it's just blindly work the arm for no reason whatsoever. Yeah, it didn't come into the finish at all. It was just a complete waste of time. No. And Abyss, you know, being the big guy who could actually sort of open his playbook on the opponent in this match, it, you know, he needed to do a bunch of stuff to carry this match as well, and he didn't really do anything for me here. No, this was typical sort of TV filler, and considering it's Anderson's debut on pay-per-view and Abyss trying to transition out of the hardcore role... It did nothing for anyone, so very disappointed in this one. Taz remarks that this was a physical confrontation, <laughs> a physical con- a physical contest to say the least. He is pretty much saying the least. <laughs> Bingo. He's adding nothing. So, um, when Ke- yeah, sorry, when Kennedy was like doing his announcer gimmick at the end, what was with the you know? Are you a family guy when Peter Griffin, like, trips and hurts his knee? It's like, 
Yeah, that was Addison a bit odd. Was, like doing that in between his announcing, yeah, just that reminded me of the uh, the the recent Undertaker. Rest in peace, num num num. <laughs> just completely nonsensical. Yeah, so I, I think we're pretty much on the same page there. I liked the opening promo, you didn't, but other than that, the match sucked. Um, we go to a and bit of a hype video for Kurt Angle and AJ Styles, and I have worries coming into this one because. Wrestling logic normally dictates if you start calling a match a classic before it's happened, you don't get a classic. And they were doing a lot of this is going to be a classic match before this one opened up. You kind of trust them with their track record. Though. Yeah, well, the last match we saw was very good. I um, That's the most truthful thing Hogan said in his TNA run so far, that that match was good enough to see it again. Um, we see, so it's Kurt Angle challenging AJ Styles for the championship he took from Kurt recently. And the crowd is going wild before they've even locked up. And you can understand why, as you just said, with these two guys, it's awesome. Just going back to that interview, did you notice how frail Kurt Angle looked? He's so skinny. I was like, he, yeah, he didn't look good at all. And it, it's not, no. it, it, it seemed weird to me because... I don't know if it was just a bad choice of outfit or camera, but he didn't look that skinny in his wrestling gear, but he looked awful in the interview. Yeah, I think the, the lighting in particular in the interview was just shocking. He seemed kind of all right, just a bit thin around like the neck up when he's in the ring, he's going to wrestle, but yeah. I saw a photo this morning of Gaza present day, who's, what, 49, and um, the physique was similar in that. That's how he looked. Oh, God. Gaza looks awful. You should definitely look him up. Oh, no. Yeah. Um, for anyone in America, don't bother. It's not. You, you, it's a long read. <laughs> um, the crowd's going wild before the lockup, as we said. We get the one of the things I'm not particularly fond of in modern wrestling, the let's go uh, AJ, let's go angle chance, dueling. Um, but both guys are pretty awesome, so I can understand it in this instance. Um, we get a nice chain wrestling sequence, and then another interesting crowd chant of you're both awesome. Oh, it was a chant. Oh, I, I thought it was a sign. Oh, it might have been a sign that you are both awesome. It probably was, um, and they definitely chanted this along here as well, so it, it was very cool. Ah, okay. Um, there's a lot of hype around this. Um, they trade hammerlocks and headlocks, early doors, um, really good way to get the, the crowd into this. Um, AJ flips out of a German suplex attempt, which is very cool. Um, and then we get some rapid arm drags and exchanging of pin attempts before they go into a test of strength. And AJ Styles rolls through the, to, to take control. And this is when I first noticed Earl Hebner's refereeing the bout. Oh, yes, yes. AJ fires off a really cool drop kick and a backbreaker for a two count. And Kurt Angle avoids a dive, nails AJ with a clothesline on the floor, goes back in the ring with a snap suplex for a two, a tilt-a-world backbreaker for a two, a body slam for a two, and then a back a German suplex followed by a backbreaker for another two count. Taz telling us you're in the right spot. Um, yeah, I think we are right now. Definitely, yeah. There's a nice snap to this match. We then get Ric Flair walking out mid-match, which was interesting. Um, just sort of walks out and takes a corner. We're not really sure what for, and the commentators don't go into any great detail about it either, so I'm expecting some shenanigans here now. Yeah, but who's is he on? <laughs> oh, classic. From there, we've got AJ sends Kurt out with a forearm. A huge somersault dive, which gets TNA chance as well, which was really cool. And he hits his, um, I don't know, what, what do you call the move? Where it's like the AA, but he drops him onto, the knee, onto his knee. Oshikoroshi by AJ Styles! <laughs> there you go. <laughs> 
<laughs> he hits the phenomenal forearm for a two count. Obviously not named that just yet. Uh, before Angle fires off three German suplex and hits a German suplex which backflips AJ Styles. One of my favorite wrestling moves. I love it when that happens. AJ did a 360, brother. <laughs> AJ fires back with the Pele kick for a two uh, before Kurt folds him up with a clothesline for a two count and AJ fires back a big clothesline of his own. Kurt Angle hits an overhead belly-to-belly suplex, which hits AJ Styles' leg into the buckles before AJ fires off a Rana and misses a springboard 450 sla- uh, splash, allowing Kurt Angle to hit the Angle Slam, which only picks up a two count. Kurt then misses a beautiful moonsault. Uh, Bob Holly might disagree, but I think Angle's moonsault's one of the best in the business. Kurt uh, turns into the turns a Styles clash into an ankle lock. AJ gets out of that, hits a slingboard, a, a slingshot crossbody for a two count. Kurt catches AJ Styles coming off the ropes and hits a Styles clash for a two count. AJ hits a nice DDT. Um, AJ Styles then returns a favor and hits an angle slam for a two count. So we've kicked out of each other's finishes here. And Kurt Angle hits the super angle slam also just for a two count. I think there's a spell just before that. I don't know whether you caught it, but it was a chant. And it rather sounded like they were chanting fight forever. It, I did actually wonder that. I couldn't make it out enough to write it down, but... I thought I, I thought I made that out too, so it must have been. Um, we then get the straps coming down from Kurt Angle. Um, definitely does it better than Jerry Lawler. <laughs> Puts on an ankle lock, and Ric Flair pulls the referee out just as AJ's about to tap, so we definitely see the shenanigans. Kurt Angle gets out the ring and chases him, but as Flair gets in the ring, AJ nails a big clothesline. Flair gives AJ Styles a title, who ponders it for a moment, thinks of it, blasts Kurt Angle, Flair sends Earl Hebner back into the ring, who doesn't mind the fact that he's been pulled out, counts the one, two, three, and keeps AJ Styles with the heavyweight title, now obviously aligned with Ric Flair. What did you think? I thought it was a flat finish to what was a really excellent match. Yeah, the chemistry these two have together is brilliant, but after everything they went through in that match, for Kurt to be put away just by a single belt shot just didn't sit. Oh, well, with me. Not just put away, but he lay there for a good five, ten minutes, seemingly unconscious. Well, yeah, because well, yeah, he had to sell for the referee getting back in as well, of course. And then after the match, just lay down while Flair and AJ Styles celebrated and mugged to the camera for what seemed like quite a while. The um, <laughs> when you the the modern age of watching wrestling typically you watch it on streaming devices now and i think most of us are guilty of just checking to see how long's left fairly often and there was a a decent sort of few minutes after the match where they just sort of mugged in the ring with nothing really happens i was expecting something more but um no 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 more angle lay there unconscious the whole time i thought this match was very very good i don't think it was a classic but it was very good. Um, this, for me, would be a typical four-star match. Um, really a solid main event. Two guys that I love. I'm a big fan of Angle, big fan of AJ. I agree with you that the ending left it flat. Um, but coming up to that, some of the action, some of the moves. And the best guys for me are the guys that do the same moves, but just change the order and always make you believe, even though you've seen the sequences seemingly a million times. And this definitely falls into that category for me. Yeah, they use the familiarity to sort of play up and build up the tension of the match and build new things off it as well. Yeah, big fan. Really enjoyed this. Um, And sent the pay-per-view home on a good note. Well, booking aside, the match itself definitely ended this pay-per-view on a high and gave us plenty to talk about. So there's um, some good and some bad and some, some very good here as well. So what were your initial thoughts on this show? 
much better than I was expecting. I remember watching this at a time and thinking that it was quite a bit of a disaster and a downer. I will say, like, like I was saying previously, I deliberately didn't watch the previous two pay-per-views before this because I guess what worked against this show was those two shows were excellent, and whereas some of the matches here, yes, they were good, but it still kind of felt like a slight downward trend to what we had previously. Yeah not watched any of this was pleasantly surprised so big plus for me mm. this is one of the, the better pay-per-views i've watched in a while so that was good yeah i had a lot more fun than i thought i would yeah awesome well it's going to be interesting to see how that fares against the rumble because that's always my favorite show of the year the rumble um probably not alone in that a lot of people love the rumble and i think this might actually give it a run for its money so not a bad way to end tna no although like you're saying about the ending is interesting um yeah, like we ended on a good match, but I, with my sort of knowledge of where things go, I did kind of get a sense of dread seeing AJ and Flair together. Yeah. Um, did you notice, actually, just on that, uh, last note before we move off of this, um, Flair telling the camera to stay on the champ when they were going a close-up on Flair. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, and he kind of like accidentally spat on the camera as well. <laughs> yeah. I'm surprised he didn't put it on the mat and drop an elbow on it. <laughs> but um, that'll do it for the first TNA pay-per-view of our journey I The Rumble WWE Royal Rumble 30 men 30 men, 30 men. Fighting for one chance One spot Only once a year An express ticket to Wrestlemania Wrestlemania 30 men One ring One dream One winner I I am I am the one The one I am Who will be the one to win the Royal Rumble? WWE Royal Rumble, live Sunday, January 31st, only on pay-per-view. So we're back with the opposition to Genesis. It's the Royal Rumble 2010. Um, And we get the opening video package here and the commentary team of Jerry Lawler, Michael Cole, and Matt Stryker, which was interesting. Um, We've got... Seamus versus Randy Orton is one of the focuses of the video package, and we get the um, typical road to WrestleMania, which in this video package is actually a road. <laughs> I had the same note, yeah. <laughs> That's an interesting one, and the question on everybody's mind here is who will be number one? Not number one in the Rumble, but the number one contender heading to WrestleMania. Um, thoughts on the opening here? Yeah, it just kind of existed, really. Um... Nothing particularly stand out, but not particularly bad either. They all sort of blend together after after a while, don't they? Yeah. Um, the the thing you look for with Rumbles, really, is the, the by the numbers video package. Which we will get later on. I didn't realise they started yeah. this soon, so we'll get to Oh, yeah. Later. I think it was like 2007, maybe, was the first time they did it. My memory's definitely taking a beating today. <laughs> <laughs> Um, we get the opening contest here, which is Christian defending the absolutely hideous ECW title up against Ezekiel Jackson with William Regal. So I don't really have much memories of Ezekiel Jackson. Do you? A few, yeah. Mostly this match. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and like he had a... I think he got the Intercontinental title later on as well, but... Oh, fair enough. I've, the only thing I've had to say about him was he looks like the love child of Titus O'Neil and Suge Knight. Mm. Yeah, going back to the, the title belt, the, the strap is so thick at the back, and like, especially you see when Christian climbs up on the rope. It's, it's weird. He kind of looks like a little child wrestler. 
Yeah, it looks like a bastardized version of the Divas title to me. It's just hideous. William Regal's out with Jackson and Striker quips he's the Mad Hatter from Blackpool. Yeah. He's not wearing a hat. <laughs> Striker's got some very interesting quotes as the night goes on here. <laughs> um, they jockey for position early to some big let's go Christians chance, and Ezekiel Jackson is huge. He is massive. Although they say on commentary, he's only got a 35-inch waist. Oh, interesting. <laughs> he's um, got the de- definitely got the... Um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? The physique where he's um, tiny at the waist and massive at the shoulders. Uh, like the bunch of flowers physique. <laughs> I wanted to say hourglass, and I realised that was the exact opposite of what I, what I meant. <laughs> uh, funnel. Yeah, yeah, funnel. That's, that's a good one. We'll, we'll leave it on that. <laughs> <laughs> Christian cocks back with a massive slap early doors. I thought that was cool. Christian's right hands just are so loud all throughout this match. Yeah, definitely. Uh, good offense here from Christian. He looked good. Um, he did look very skinny next to, to um, Ezekiel, though. It really highlighted how thin Christian was. He hits a nice drop kick through the ropes before hitting his uh, classic springboard crossbody to the outside. Uh, Ezekiel Jackson gets back in the ring and gets an offense, though, with a slam, some strikes, um, a press slam, which is um, avoided, and then he's yanked off, he yanks Christian off the buckles really hard. Um, Crystal, Cri- Crystal, William Regal goes to cheat on Christian, is immediately caught by the referee and ejected, so that was a bit of a bummer <laughs> for me. Wait, wait, wait. When you mix the two names together, I'm like, oh, this is going to be like a fanfic couple or something. <laughs> and then when you then you went and said, oh, Regal went and cheated on Christian. <laughs> Brangelina is no more. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck. Oh, I'm, lack of sleep is killing me. <laughs> oh, my God. My wife's probably upstairs going, lack of sleep, you fucking try being me. <laughs> she doesn't listen to the show so it won't matter (laughs) Um, Christian's thrown to the stairs on the outside Matt Stryker's just annoying me early doors as well I don't remember anything about his commentary but god it's getting on my nerves early no particular reason he's just annoying Um, huge vertical suplex by um, Ezekiel for a two count hits a choke bomb for a two count and then clotheslines the back of Christian's head for a two count as well so some good, good big man offense yeah, the clothesline to the back of the head was a really big standout moment in this match. Quite neat. You don't really see that. Definitely. Um, Christian comes off the top with an elbow before coming with a missile drop kick off Brett's rope, which he misses. Um, Christian, as a babyface, starts too many claps as well. It's getting on my nerves here as well. Stop trying to get the crowd to, to clap along. That's really a tag match move. Eddie Guerrero, I think... It was in his autobiography. He stated like how his dad. It really irritated him when someone would be like, "Come on, come on!" and trying to like will the audience on. It's like, no, you should be doing that with your ring work. Yeah, you know, absolutely. You're not like a clown at a circus or whatever. Absolutely. Uh, Christian comes with a reverse DDT, but misses a top rope headbutt. Hit, uh, Ezekiel Jackson hits a lariat for a two count, a backbreaker, before Christian hits a DDT for a two count. Ezekiel Jackson clotheslines for a two, and Christian locks in a sleeper. Uh, Jackson slams Christian into the corner a couple of times, whereas Christian counters the third attempt with a kill switch in a very cool-looking counter for the one, two, three. And Michael Cole ends us on a line I found most interesting. Christian is the most successful ECW champion in the history of the WWE. 
yeah. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah. Um, decent opener though. Christian was very over. I, uh, it was he was always over, but I was surprised how much support he got here, as particularly because I don't think Ezekiel Jackson was necessarily the um, the most compelling of opponent, but he was definitely over. What did you think about the match? Absolutely. I think this match here is a perfect example of the genius of Christian, really. Like saying Zeke is fairly rudimentary as a big, as a big man, mm-hmm. outside a couple of moments like for clothesline to the back of the head instead. Again, that's kind of like the bravery of Christian to take that move from a man that big. But yeah, it's just thoroughly watchable, really. There was a couple of sloppy moments, but it didn't really drag the match down. And you're saying about the reverse DVT, they completely messed that up, but they kind of looked out because... The replay was going to the previous spot, yeah, so yeah. you couldn't see it look as bad. It was. Um, I I found like without getting too much into the comparison early, because obviously we're going to do the uh, the uh, the winners at the end. I found this match ring work wise was of a I, I wouldn't say as good as a TNA opener, but was at a similar level, but had a much bigger feel to it. Mm. So definitely a, a good start here. We then get Teddy Long backstage with a blonde woman who I don't know, who apparently runs ECW. Care to fill me in on this? Yes, Tiffany. She's the general manager of ECW. She actually succeeded uh, Teddy Long in the role when he moved over to be the SmackDown GM. So Teddy Long was SmackDown GM, then ECW, then back to SmackDown. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, pretty, yeah, exactly. It. Yeah. This sounds like possibly another reason why ECW fans hate the WWE. Yeah, um, Tiffany was... Um, she got on to wrestle in TNA. I can't remember what her name was. I just looked at... She just looked like the stereotypical blonde diva and she's somehow in charge of ECW. So um, can definitely see why that brand died a death. Did you spot how many posters there were in the background to this office here? No. Plugging stuff. Oh, God, there was so many of them. There was, like, a, a Best of Raw DVD poster. There was loads of WWE magazine posters. There was some other DVD getting plugged as well. It might have been um, one of the films, like Teddy's Marine film or something. Yeah, they did talk about that a lot, so that, that probably is what it was. But, um, yeah, no, I didn't catch that. I saw the, the magazine ones because I found it interesting they were still doing the magazine at this time. I was an avid WWE magazine, WWF magazine when I bought it, collector, for many, many years, but um, don't have any of them now, sadly. But I, I think I probably collected from 1990 all the way through to about 2002. I was still collecting when it went to Raw and SmackDown magazine, so I had quite a few of them at one point. Um, we then get interrupted by Crime Time, who... Um, I'm a big Crime Time fan, so I was quite happy here. And we're told they've got one spot between them for the Royal Rumble, which they're trying to debate with Teddy Long to no success. But they do inform him they've found someone to give them a number. In comes Carly with a manager I don't recognise. It's not Davari. And they come in speaking horrible slang. It's Ranjan Singh is Carly's manager. Um, he's actually one of the writers for the WWE at this point in time, I think, and... He just started out as like Carly's translator when okay. him and um, Davari got separated. But yeah. Okay, so they all um, they all take turns singing as Crime Time comes in. Um, Teddy, as the Miz comes in, um, and Teddy tells him that he's got MVP in a title match next for his United States title, and um, 
Crime Time do not end up getting Carly's number, and they sing Who Let the Dogs Out to end the segment, which is pretty awful. Um, <laughs> uh, this is this th- this kind of stuff can be done well. When William Regal got involved, I found that hilarious on that skit years ago. This one died a death. Did you hear, though, how they were trying to convince Carly to give up his number? Yeah, they'd um, told him, was it Tiffany was going to kiss him or something, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. So he was willing to give up his place in the rumble for a kiss. Ah, foreshadowing. (laughs) Just miss had the line here. Five years from now, nobody's going to remember what you're doing. (laughs) And so true. (laughs) I'm afraid so. He could have said to JTG, five years from now, you'll nearly be about to be released. (laughs) Um. We then get Orton sat backstage as Cody Rhodes comes in and tells him that he's there for him, but Teddy isn't. He says that Teddy wants to win the Royal Rumble and face Orton at WrestleMania, and he hasn't been the same since the Marine came out. So, um, Legacy's a stable I remember a little bit of before I got out of watching wrestling at this time for a while, and um, I thought it had a lot of potential. So, this this definitely piqued my interest a bit here. It did have a lot of potential. It was kind of on the... They had a decent rivalry with DX but they've kind of gone on the downslope a little bit more here, back to being lackeys. Okay. Um, well, I guess I'll have to go a little bit further back and rewatch some of the good stuff then if I want to get into that again. We then have Miz defending his United States title up against MVP. MVP actually won a fatal four-way on the episode of Raw we compared against Impact a little while ago. Yeah, um, it's kind of weird that they just kind of flippantly had Teddy book this match rather than advertise it when, you know, they've already got it in our heads for MVP's number one contender. Yeah, I, I did find that odd because they um they just announced it out the blue in the backstage segment we talked about and then before the match they showed us a video and I'm like, hang on a minute, we watched that for number one contendership. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> did you notice here as well, they got quite split reactions early on. It wasn't your typical face heel dynamic from the crowd. Mm. We'll see a bit more of that later on in the match. Um, just one thing about the one production thing I did notice. They cut away from MVP's pyro. Yeah, a weird choice there as well. When the match gets started, it is a pretty quick start. Uh, MVP comes out with a clothesline, but it only gets him a one count. Uh, floats over on a suplex also for a one count. Hits a backdrop and then a back suplex for a two count before they go outside for a bit of brawling around the ringside area. Miz comes into control at some point and starts pounding on MVP in the corner. Hits a nice running clothesline into the corner and a top rope axe handle for a two count. Some interesting Miz offense there a la the Macho Man. Well, speaking of interesting Miz offense, he did a leg drop at one point. Yeah, um, going right through the Mega Powers routine. <laughs> I've never seen Miz do a leg drop. Did you catch this line on commentary where Matt Stryker told us to him, as a child, WrestleMania meant not needing a jacket to go outside at night anymore? You, you, what? <laughs> exactly. It's sort of like he was going to tell us that WrestleMania was part of the change of season and like you're expecting some long meaningful, but he just sort of left it at that meant I didn't need a jacket anymore. And I'm like, oh, okay, okay. meant a bit more than that to me, and I don't work for the company. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that, that was a bit weird. Um, MVP hits a nice flapjack and then a knee lift modified before he hits uh, the balling elbow. Um, I, I don't like these hokey moves, other than the people's elbow. Uh, maybe the worm, I'll give you, but this is like the five-knuckle shuffle rather than the, the other two examples I gave there. 
Um, he hits a nice big boot, which I always liked MVP's big boot for a two count. Shoulder block for a two count. Gets a roll up, a backslide, and a jackknife pin, all garnering two counts. Before Miss puts on a really crappy small package and gets a three out of nowhere. Um, really bad end to what was building as a pretty decent match. Yeah, crap finish. Um, this match was just kind of there for me. Didn't really do anything. I thought it was a bit mundane and... Yeah, kind of forgot about a lot of it. Yeah, it is pretty forgettable. Um, after the match, Miz just yells in the face of MVP, who drops in with the playmaker. A bit of a too little too late, as Jesse Ventura would say at WrestleMania many moons ago, when Jake comes back with the DDT, harking back to some classic eight, uh, 1990 wrestling. And back to what you are saying about the crowd split, MVP got a fair amount of booze for that. Yeah, which was interesting, because Miz was definitely healing out on him, so... Um, not sure what was going on there, because I don't remember any um, big face turns for Miz coming out of overwhelming crowd support. Maybe it was more just a backlash against MVP? Mm, possibly, yeah. Um, mid-2009, it kind of looked like maybe he would go somewhere, and then it just kind of fell flat a bit. There's a lot of that around the um, the late 2000s, early 2010s, isn't there? Guys on the upper echelon just dropping off a cliff Uh Kennedy that we just talked about in the in the the last portion of the show is a good example. In fact, a lot of the, a lot of the guys is some in the Royal Rumble coming up. Chris Mars is another one that comes to mind. Mm, yeah. So from there we go backstage, um, and it's Big Show and Y two J. They talk about who was the better partner for Big Show, uh, Chris Jericho or the Miz. They'd sort of debated a little bit back and forth. Big Show is basically saying he's, he's on his own in the Rumble and he'll take either of them out. R-Truth pops up from out of nowhere, and it reminds me of a time when R-Truth was a semi-serious character. <laughs> Says he's going to drop Jericho, and that pretty much ends the segment with Jericho wanting Big Show to have his back, but he's already left. Yeah, you talk about R-Truth being a semi-serious threat. He actually beat Jericho at least once on television at this point in time. So, In the um, the early days of TNA when he was Ron Killings, I had a lot of time for him. Um quite surprised how it all panned out in the end. I thought he had a lot more potential than, than what he is now, anyway. Mm. Um, from there, we get Te- um, Ted DiBiase wishing Randy Orton luck. Says that Cody wants to win the Royal Rumble to face Sheamus at WrestleMania, implying that Orton won't get the job done, and dissension is being sown here. Smallness. <laughs> and, of course, that takes us right to our WWE title match. Sheamus defending the title up against Randy Orton. Just briefly before we get into this, there was a commercial for Raw next night. Did you see who was guest hosting? Oh, oh yes. Um, was it William Shatner? William Shatner, yes. That is brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I have to go periodically back and see the segment where he sings the theme songs. It's great. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually have some warm memories of some of the guest host era, particularly um, Bob Barker was a favourite of mine as well. That was quite fun, yeah. I've just got my first note is, I'm sorry, but Seamus is not a main eventer. I, I, I've i never understood Seamus. At this point in time, it did feel a lot like too much too soon. Uh, it was his 2011 face run where it kind of built a bit more for me. But... I'll have to see some more of that coming up then. Um, Orton gets a good pop. Um, and then I've got a sign in the crowd which tickled me, Seamus burns my retinas. <laughs> um, the, the one I noticed was, the voices say, RK, no. 
<laughs> Didn't see that one, so um, they're killing these guys in the signs. We've got Justin Roberts doing the in-ring introductions, which makes gives this a big match feel. Always like that, and I thought Justin Roberts is an underrated uh, ring announcer as well. I don't know if it was during the introductions or just after they finished, but it might have been at the point that they rang the bell and Seamus and Orton go to face off. But they're still, like, in between them, there's this guy in the crowd in the powder blue jumper. He just, like, flexes or something. Yeah, I did see that. He's getting right into it, and I think the guy next to him joins in right at the end before they cut away. <laughs> that was pretty funny. When the match gets started, uh, Orton hits a nice drop kick and drops to his belly and slithers back like a snake in reverse. I don't understand that at all. He's a viper, Lee. But do vipers go in reverse after they've put you on the ground? Oh, that's true. <laughs> I think they'd probably continue to kill you. <laughs> um, they exchange blows and Seamus comes back with an arm breaker over his knee, which was a pretty cool spot. Uh, they brawl around the outside. Seamus sends Orton's arm into the steps, so that's where he's going to be basing most of his offense early in the match. Uh, they come back in and he works over the arm before Orton takes over and begins to work over Seamus's leg. Cole drops the line, classic Orton, and ruins it for me. It's vintage Orton Cole. You got your own line wrong. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if you spotted. Uh, at one point, I think it was when Orton was doing his garden stomp, a fan yells, kick him in the head, Orton. And he does. No, I didn't see that. I was too busy fixating on a guy in the fourth row dressed as the big boss man. Oh, wow. And your classic 80s blue shirt big boss man at that. Oh. So that was pretty cool. Um, If you're going to cosplay as someone, don't just do Hogan and Macho. Do someone fun. Seamus goes back to work on the arm, hitting it against the post. And it's this point I notice the crowd is starting to die a bit of a death here. They're not really pumped for this one. Well, it's the much vaunted heel versus heel championship match that you kind of tend to get at the Rumble, really. You get some kind of underwhelming championship matches sometimes. And the crowd, I think they bring this up on commentary as well, the crowd kind of favour Randy just because he's the more established guy. Yeah, actually, they do They do bring that up. Striker, I think, brings it up a few times. They're just taking turns working on limbs as well, so it's not like they're going with the exciting offence either, which I don't think is helping here. It's not just limb work, it's limb work that perhaps 90% of the roster could do, really. Yeah, and not leading to, like, Orton's and Sheamus don't have submission finishes based on the limbs they're working either, so it's not really exciting the crowd that something good's coming out of this at the end. Yeah, it's just busy work. Sheamus gets an arm lock, which Orton fights out of, um, and then we get the um, the boo-yeah punch exchange, which I'm always a fan of. <laughs> Orton obviously getting the yeah, Seamus getting the boo. Seamus hits a bit of a rock bottom into a backbreaker, which was a cool spot. Um, that gets him a two. Irish curse backbreaker. Yeah, very cool. Orton hits his um, DDT off the ropes for a two count, where he hooks the leg in. I really enjoy that. That's a good one. Seamus rolls away out of the punt and sends Orton into the post a couple of times. Cody comes out. Nails Sheamus. The referee argues with him on the apron. Orton hits the RKO, and the referee eventually goes and rings the bell for the disqualification finish in a very, very flat ending. I'm never a fan as well of endings where the referee doesn't immediately call for a DQ, lets the action go so you think something else is coming, then goes and calls for a DQ. Um, very poor finish for me. The referee actually asks Cody at one point, have you lost your mind? Like, what's he, what's he going to gain out of arguing with Cody? Could Cody give him a reason not to call for the DQ, or is this just a waste of time? 
There's one plot point from the previous like backstage segments. So when DiBiase approached Orton, he got all frustrated and said, no, I don't want either of you to come and interfere. Yep. But he didn't stress that to Cody, which is why Cody was the one that came out and ah, club a match or Orton. Well spotted. Mm. But uh, yeah, flat finish to a really flat match. I'll just say the crowd are begging for an RKO on Cody after this as well. Oh, I'm not surprised. <laughs> They're probably begging for something because they didn't get a heck of a lot of anything in this match. No, definite come down to earth here. We then get Ted coming out to try and break up the little bit of a scrap between Orton and Cody. Uh, and Orton kind of bitches them both out on the floor at the same time, doesn't he? He's just got them both down like the big brother beating up his two little brothers on the floor. Yeah, just one punch and then they're suddenly going back to having reverence for Orton. And then Seamus, for some reason, decides to hang around in the ring, hoping that the three of them won't just gang up and beat the shit out of him, to broke kick Orton before leaving. So just a weird ending, a weird aftermatch. None of this made any sense, and none of it was particularly entertaining. No, I thought this was really dull. It was like they were wrestling through treacle at times. It was so slow. Yeah, good point. From there, we get the classic, this definitely took me back to a period in time, the Please Don't Try This at Home video. They are global entertainers, professionally trained athletes, WWE superstars, but they are not invincible. When they step into that ring, they take real risks and endure unimaginable pain. Broken bones, torn muscles, dislocations, separations. Be smart, be safe, don't try this at home. We then get a um, video package for the women's match coming up, and this is one that lives in, in infamy because it's the Piggy James storyline. Be, to be gain the number one contendership for Michelle McCool's title, Mickey James had to beat Natalia and Beth Phoenix in a fatal four-way, and from there... Two skinny girls call another skinny girl fat for what seemed like weeks and weeks of television. Just awful stuff. Yeah, Mickey at one point goes, this is what a real woman looks like. You're splitting hairs in physiques. Yeah, I think, you know, they they are obviously trying to sort of empower a lot of fans here through this storyline, but when when you have someone like Mickey James who, you know, her... Um, what's the phrase I'm looking for? Her physique kind of went back and forth all throughout her time in the WWE, which I think is what this storyline was all about. Yeah. But to claim to go like, oh, she looks like a real woman when she obviously still looks like an athlete. Yeah, you're just going to drive a lot of people away with that. Like, oh, hang on, if you're a real woman, what what the hell am I? You know, she's she is at this point like watching her on the video package. She's in midriff tops and she's tiny. There's, there's not a bit of fat on her. She's maybe not rock solid, but she's not heavy. No, she's fine. It was a, the year before where um, like her push kind of went and she kind of lost a bit of motivation. Yeah, this is just... This is like when Jim Ross would like berate Mark Henry and Big Show on his Ross Report blogs and stuff and lose weight and stuff. It's just... Yeah, that's uh, I, I can't remember way back when on one of my very early episodes I put that's the one of the weirdest Vince McMahon fascinations I've never understood hiring the 
largest talent available, then immediately trying to get them to lose weight. Yeah, just, I mean, this whole storyline is basically the office trying to bully one of their performers to look a certain way that favours them, and they don't really need to, because Mickey's fine. And then on that point, we have our dick move of the week, which goes to WWE Creative for one of the most tasteless, humiliating angles of all time. Yeah, and I I quite have fond memories of Lee Cool, to be honest, but Michelle McCool's delivery on some of these promos, especially singing... Michelle McCool had a farm and stuff. Just go away. Oh, and the worst part is, like, wrestling fans will sympathise with me on this. Like, my wife doesn't like wrestling. She doesn't watch it. Um, I typically watch all these shows after 10.30 when she goes to bed. I'll watch the wrestling for a couple of hours before I hit the hay. And, of course, she fucking walks in during... Michelle McCool had a farm, E-I-E-I-O, and I just... You can't defend this shit, can you? Like, (laughs) you just think, yep. Honey, I am a fucking loser. I'm sorry. <laughs> so, yeah, that's that's wrestling for you. It always lands you in the shit eventually. Hey, Mickey! Hey, Mickey! Well, now that I have your undivided attention, go ahead. Celebrate all you want. But before... You get the party started, honey. Maybe you should take a look at this. Hey, Piggy. So, Mickey James up against Mrs. Undertaker. Michael Cole as well, just adds to the shit. I was a Husky kid, so I know what Mickey's going through. No, you don't, because if you're a Husky kid, you're not an athletic woman like Mickey James. <laughs> <laughs> you fucking idiot. Um, Layla comes out in a sumo suit with a lot of ass hanging out the top of the pants. Mickey James comes out and rightfully lamps her on the floor, gets in the ring, hits a big DDT to Michelle McCool, and picks up the three immediately ending the match and this was the only way you could book this if you weren't complete pricks yeah this all angle really um i like both of them from an evening standpoint so i would have liked a proper match between them but yeah mickey definitely needed to go over and yeah it is what it is there's not really much discussion to be had about this one A a bunch of girls i don't recognize come out with a big cake and they put it all over the heels who swim in it for a little while and that's the end we then go to a uh, video package for the match out of both these shows i will say we we wax lyrical about angle and aj but this was the match i was most looking forward to because i've never seen the undertaker face ray mysterio and big fan of ray before his knees went undertaker's my favorite um i'm not quite kyle triple h levels of in love with him but i'm not far off (laughs) and um the video package focuses on how Ray became the number one contender, particularly around Batista not being happy with Ray taking it. And um, 
Oh, sorry, and I completely missed out on the previous matches. Hammerlock scale getting a 4 out of 10 for the build-up. We go to Rey Mysterio up against The Undertaker for The Undertaker's World Heavyweight Championship. And Tony Chimmel gives us the pro introductions this time for the big fight feel. Yeah, a big feature of the build-up package had the excellent Batista, you were supposed to be my friend, turn in it. Yeah, um, I always had a soft spot for Batista. I thought his um, heel and face turns were always quite well done. When he went from one to the other, it normally brought something interesting. Um, for sure, yeah. Rey Mysterio comes on the offense early, but Undertaker, after the first move, Taker grabs Rey by the throat and just tosses him over the top rope. That was bloody cool. <laughs> it's awesome. When Undertaker was coming out, Cole was like, oh, Undertaker's back at the Royal Rumble where he had so many memorable moments where he won the 2007 Royal Rumble. Yeah. Giant <laughs> Gonzalez. Couldn't think, <laughs> <laughs> think of anything else to add. Matt Stryker, though, immediately takes me out of the moment in this match where he describes the big Undertaker tossing Mysterio out the ring. Look at the agility of Rey Mysterio. Well, didn't he just get thrown out the ring? Are you saying he meant to do that? Like, that just... Oh, shut up, Stryker. Rey comes back... Um, under the apron. I-, I love the whole Rey Mysterio going against a big guy and not giving up. He jumps on the on the ring apron, goes for a springboard, and eats an Undertaker uppercut, which was also very cool. Rey avoids the apron leg drop from the Undertaker, but Undertaker just lamps him, goes back up, and hits him with it the second time around. It's all Undertaker early as he sets up a choke slam, but gets run and into the ropes into the 619 position. Ray goes for the 619. Undertaker catches him, picks him up for the tombstone, and you're thinking squash match, it's about to end. But Ray, in a very unique reversal, just knees the Undertaker in the head until he lets him go, uh, avoids an elbow, and then hits a comes off the ropes with a springboard splash but eats a big boot by the undertaker um i'm really digging early doors here the mysterio comes high flying and just gets nailed in midair definitely the big running theme of this match and it's very enjoyable they go outside the ring and taker hits a big boot which nails ray again and again hits him with two of them misses a third and puts his leg into the ring post to allow ray mysterio a bit of hope here ray baseball slides the undertaker who's around the ring post which is quite cool ray gets caught but avoids a last ride on the outside of the ring which would have killed him by grabbing the ropes and getting himself back in and then hits an no, well, sorry he doesn't go back in getting on the apron and hitting a nice acai moonsault so some cool offense here from ray ray undertaker then grabs him by the throat and just throws Throws him into the barricade in a sick-looking bump, though. And going back to fans suggesting what wrestlers should do when the wrestler's listening, someone yells, you can't do that again! And Taker doesn't. <laughs> Jerry Lawler... Uh, not, yeah, Jerry Lawler says... Um, the Undertaker's blood is red like everyone else uh, because he's, he's got a little bit of blood at the face here, which I haven't mentioned yet. And Matt Stryker again annoys me. He says, it's actually blue until it's hit by oxygen. Okay. <sighs> No problem, that, that's very helpful. <laughs> Undertaker hits the um, the lifting arm ringer on Rey Mysterio, which is another favourite SmackDown move of mine. Holds him in the air. Avo- uh, Ray Ray avoids a last ride, hits a 619, followed by a springboard dropkick, followed by another 619, which Matt Stryker tells us is 12218. So he's um, obviously got a calculator out at ringside. But then gets caught with a massive last ride for the 1, 2, and the 3 in a reasonably short but highly enjoyable title match yeah this was a bit briefer than i was hoping for as well but 
I just love the dynamic of this match. Undertaker getting really furious at Ray's cat and mouse game and just swatting him out of midair and stuff. This felt yeah, very realistic. Nice. Like I, that's probably not the right word to use, but it's this is what you would expect to happen with two guys this size. No, I get, I totally get what you mean because Ray feuded with Kane like a year or two before this, and I really didn't like the matches because I thought Kane bumped far too much for Ray's offense. Yeah, this was like like he should have. Well, yeah, like there were times where he should have stood his ground more, and he just didn't. Whereas Undertaker, his son here was far more realistic. Yeah, he took the majority of the offense without making Ray look bad, which is, I think, a big achievement for both guys because Ray looked credible. He wasn't hurt by the loss, but Undertaker didn't lose any of his credibility in doing so. I, I really enjoyed this. Mm. I can't remember if it was Christmas... I can't remember if it was Christmas Day or Boxing Day, but the like the, one of the final Smackdowns of 2009, these two had a world title match as well. We then get a backstage segment where Kane tells Shawn Michaels his obsession with The Undertaker is un- sorry, excuse me, is unhealthy in a moment of irony there. Um, for those of you keeping score at home, Shawn Michaels wants to win the Royal Rumble and cash in his... Um, his pick of the match to face Undertaker again and an attempt to end the streak. Kane tells Michaels that there's no light at the end of this tunnel, only darkness, and he leaves, just walks out the door, which is a bit weird for Kane. It's not very supernaturally, but there you go. <laughs> Triple H walks in from the other side, wishes him good luck. Uh, Shawn Michaels says that him and the Undertaker is meant to be, and Triple H tells him, I know it is, that's why you'll find another way, because he intends on winning the Rumble himself. Mm-hmm. They were the tag champions at this point as well. Oh, well I they? don't know where their belts are. Yeah. No, not worth carrying around as it's just extra luggage. Well, especially because it's like four belts between them at this point. Yeah. I'm not a big fan of the Shawn Michaels um, brown, white pants he had at this stage that go with the black and green DX. It's very... um, His top half screams rebel, his bottom half screams country music. <laughs> we then get the, as you alluded to earlier, the Royal Rumble by numbers video, which is always enjoyable. Is indeed. They remark that it's Kane's twelfth rumble in a row. Is it? There you go. Yeah. Did you spot as well? They're, they're back in the Phillips Arena in Atlanta. Do you know who won the Royal Rumble the last time they were in the arena? Triple H. <laughs> By the way, just as a side note, before we get stuck in, what are you talking about, Kyle? Tweet me, oh please. <laughs> And then he says, I'll tweet you back. (laughs) Trent, if you listen. (laughs) Oh, my God. Please make that happen somehow, world. (laughs) I love it. Did you see um, one of the Revival called him Trips on Twitter as well? I did see that. I thought, oh, Trent. (laughs) Because he nicked their leg finisher on, sir. Yeah, he did. Um, I, I, I... that was that always reminds me of um, I don't being married to Stephanie. Whenever someone backstage calls her Steph and she just berates them, I just imagine Triple H. Don't call me Trips. <laughs> <laughs> but no, that, that was um, that was quite cool. Um, we're going into here, obviously the Royal Rumble match. So this is a bit of a, a mouthful. All the entrances and eliminations. Feel free to just step on my toes and jump in at any point. But we get entering at number one, Dolph Ziggler, and number two, Evan Bourne. So a decent little pairing here for one and two. They do indeed, yeah. They point at the WrestleMania sign, oh, and Dolph like, "No, no, that's mine." Like, you mean the sign? What? Oh, it's a, it's an awful wrestling trope that needs to end the pointing and the looking at the WrestleMania sign. <laughs> do you ever just see them both simultaneously look? Not just these guys, but any in particular. Just think, if I were me, as soon as you look, I'd just hit you. 
<laughs> makes perfect sense. Um, wrestling logic for the throwback to the, the earlier podcast days. Evan Bourne comes off with a spin kick, actually, to get us started. And a really cool-looking move. It's like a, um, a flying knee drop mix meets uh, Luthez Prez, which I was very impressed with. Yeah, like Sasha Banks uses today. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Ziggler hits the zigzag nice and early, and Evan Bourne hits the airborne nice and early as well. So that was very cool. And while they're selling, we get number three, CM Punk. So this is definitely picking up early. Mm-hmm. In short order, he comes in and dumps both and then goes and gets on the microphone. It tells us he can save all the competitors if they want to be saved. So this is obviously during his, um, was it Straight Edge Society? I wanted to say SES and I'm like, oh, it doesn't sound right, but it is, yeah, uh, during those days yeah. and cut some cool promos. Very Steve Austin-esque here with the um, the in-between parts of the Rumble after dumping other people out. Mm. At number four comes JTG, who obviously won the argument between him and Shad. And he is... Un- he unloads with a couple of drop kicks before Punk unceremoniously tosses him out of the rumble and gets the ring to himself all over again. <laughs> he gets back on the mic and he's in for a big surprise as at number five, out comes the great Carly. See, no wonder Crime Time wanted Carly's number. Ah, back to back. Yeah, so then they could double team whoever's left in the, in the ring. And this is uh, where I get reminded of and what, part of the reason why I hated Carly so much as he comes out and they call him the Punjabi playboy. Fuck, what a <laughs> stupid gimmick. What is it with them trying to turn giants into sex-obsessed retards? <laughs> Between him, Big Daddy V, sexual chocolate, oh, the list goes on. That's true. Um, as he comes out, Punk goes to punk, uh, preach to Carly, who's having none of it, and hits him with a big head chop. Um, he puts him in the vice grip, but at number uh, but at number six, sorry, out comes Beth Phoenix, and this is a classic spot you've probably seen a million times on TV. Puts Carly in the lip lock and drops him over the top rope for the elimination. Beth got a pretty pretty big pop coming out as well, especially from the uh, the girls in the audience. Yeah, absolutely, it was pretty interesting to see. She goes in the ring, attacks Punk, but gets leveled with the GTS, which was pretty sick. So she she's gone in short order. Out at number six, come at number six. Sorry, comes Zack Ryder, who has awful wrestling attire with one long leg of tights and one no leg of tights. It's fucking stupid. <laughs> um, he gets in the ring and goes after Punk, who immediately dumps him to huge CM Punk chance. The crowd are getting behind this run now. It was great. He's like, yeah, oh you you you've got potential. You bang wax him with a mic. It's brilliant. CM Punk gets on the mic and says, whoever comes out next, I'm better than you. And in a moment, that would have Kyle marking the fuck out. It's Triple H. <laughs> I feel like he's going to block me on Twitter after he hears this. <laughs> I don't mean to rag on you. I actually love the Triple H stuff, but it's easy prey. <laughs> um, he comes out and... Um, Hits his knee, his sort of knee drop on Punk, followed by his big spine buster. Neither of them go this time, and out at number nine comes Drew McIntyre. Vince McMahon's pick to be the next big name, they tell us. The chosen one or one. No, that's Jarrett, isn't it? Yeah, he's, um, oh, I can't remember. It might have been chosen one. I can't remember. Nice. Yeah. He hits a nice high knee, and, um, on, and Triple H reverses the GTS and dumps Punk. So that was a bit of a disappointing end to a, a good little run there for Punk. No wonder he hates Triple H. (laughs) Um, At number 10, out comes Ted DiBiase, who hits a nice power slam on Triple H, uh, and then him and McIntyre begin a double team, as at 11, out comes John Morrison. 
Morrison attacks uh, Drew McIntyre with a nice springing DDT and hits a Pele kick on Ted DiBiase and a split-legged corkscrew moonsault, which was very cool. Starship pain, yes. Mm. At number 12, out comes in his 12th straight rumble, did you say? It is Kane. Yes! There you go. <laughs> I spied that too. <laughs> um, and we've got a sign in the crowd here that says, Kane is on fire, then in much smaller writing, in a good way. <laughs> uh, talk about explaining your thoughts <laughs> I'm a rumble people terrified <laughs> um, he hits a top rope clothesline to Triple H which is a favourite Kane move of mine and then just goes wild on everyone nailing everyone in sight and hits an awesome double choke slam on both McIntyre and Morrison at the same time McIntyre's a big guy that's an impressive spot oh for sure yeah like 6'5 or whatever mm-hmm. Trips and eats a chokeslam, and out at number 13 comes Cody Rhodes. Uh, he saves Ted DiBiase, and they double-team Kane. Uh, hits a dropkick on John Morrison off uh, Morrison's springboard, and that's pretty much the end of the action up until number 14, and it's MVP, who doesn't make it to the ring because Miz comes out and smashes him in the back of the head with the US title. In the ring, they're all paired off in the ring, um, just taking turns on each other. And out at number 15 comes Carlito. He spits in the face of people who don't want to be cool. So this is a gimmick that had pretty much run its course by now. I think he'd like split from Primo as well. So he'd come off being a tag guy and then being a go-nowhere mid-car guy again. Yeah, well, there's a lot of this around this time. He was a guy that I thought had huge potential when he first started. And it just it went nowhere. There was definitely a glass ceiling around this time in WWE. Yeah, kind of got that sense, yeah. Um, he hits a nice springboard elbow and a monkey flip before putting backstabbers on everyone in the ring. And then um, Smarky Striker says, at some point, wouldn't you stop throwing punches at Carlito, seeing what he's doing to them? I was like, oh, fuck off. It just, it, it does my head in. Anywho, from there, we go to number 16, and it's The Miz bringing MVP back from the death. He runs out... Uh, getting up from the belt shot a little bit quicker than Kurt Angle did. <laughs> um, <laughs> hits the cactus clothesline and officially takes them both out of the Royal Rumble. The ring's filling up nicely here as at 17 we get Matt Hardy version 1. I did not realise this gimmick ran this long. Uh, well, well, he didn't have like the Matt facts and stuff. He was just like plain old Matt Hardy, really. Was he? Just had the, the, the V1 song then, I guess. Yeah, it's just had the same entrance for that song, yeah. It's a couple of moves on Kane, but doesn't last long. Kane dumps him out, so that's definitely the downward spiral here for Matt Hardy. Um, and then Triple H tosses Kane pretty unceremoniously before hitting spine busters on everyone left in the ring. I love how Triple H has this habit of trying to dominate a bigger guy than him sometime. Like, the, the Illumination Chamber the year before was a particularly big case of that. It was like... Big Show and Kozlov were in the ring dominating. Oh, out comes Triple H to clean house. <laughs> yes, the, the ego comes out once in a while. <laughs> um, at number 18, out comes Shawn Michaels, who tosses out Carlito, Cody and Ted DiBiase, and then also John Morrison. So a good clean-up move from Shawn Michaels. Um, he and Triple H together toss out Drew McIntyre, and we go down to the DX members left in the ring. At number 19, before they get into any significant action, it's John Cena. Yeah. Boop, boop, boop. <laughs> he um, fucks up his spin-out um, spin powerbomb um, with sh- onto, onto Shawn Michaels here as well. Um, it's from... I can't remember which one he did, but it was basically on one to the other, and they don't get out of the way quick enough. It looks awkward. It was, Yeah, it was Triple H. He was proto-bombing onto Shawn Michaels, and the collision was nasty. Yeah. Didn't look nice at all. And then he comes off the ropes with an 
awful double five knuckle shuffle or a ten knuckle shuffle if you prefer. He just he drops down with like his hands. Just picture your, your fist pointing straight ahead, not sort of um, knuckles to the top, but thumbs to the top, and just drops his hand on their forehead like that. It would have no impact whatsoever. It's amazing to me how Cena is, you know, as brilliant as he is, cannot throw a punch, though. No, not at all. Triple H then saves Sean from going out before hitting the pedigree on Cena, and Sean turns on him with some sweet chin music, sending Triple H out of the rumble. Now, watching this at the time, I was a little bit worried because Hunter was kind of, like, holding his knee from the pedigree. Yeah. And I'm like, well, what's going on here? You know, has he done something? Like, but... No, it's just he is gone. At, a, yeah. at number 20, we get Shelton Benjamin, big favourite of mine. Love me some Shelton Benjamin. Gutted that he couldn't come back this year or last year. He hits that cool spinning enziguri he does onto John Cena. Hits a crossbody onto Shawn Michaels. Nice German suplex and the pay dirt before Cena gets rid of him. So a bit disappointing there. He's not long for this world at this point, Shelton, actually, oh, thought, which is a shame. I thought that might be the case. Uh, at 21, out comes Yoshi Tatsu, and my only note on him is, isn't he from Mario Brothers? <laughs> my note is, yes. Because uh, the last year when he was still injured with his neck, he was on the English commentary from Wrestle Kingdom and stuff, and he was notoriously bad. <laughs> I can see why. Um, he doesn't last long, though. Cena dumps him out pretty quick. And at number two, uh, 22, sorry, out comes the Big Show, looking about as big as I've ever seen him look. He looks awful. I think it'd get worse. Okay, I'm looking forward to seeing that. Um, <laughs> they all tease eliminations, but no one actually goes before number 23. It's Mark Henry, and he comes out and slams the Big Show in a pretty impressive feat of strength. Mark Henry, the world's strongest Kool-Aid jar at this point. <laughs> At um, number 24, out comes Chris Masters, and I did not realise he was still around at this point. I think he left and came back in actuality, but um, yeah, interesting to see him still mixing it up with a lot of the names here. Yeah, he did. He didn't come back until 2009. He got released in 2007, and he was just starting to really kind of get it at this point in time as well, which is a shame. It's a nice-looking press slam on Shawn Michaels, but then Big Show eliminates Masters in pretty short order. He's gone. At number 25, out comes R-Truth, who tosses out the Big Show and Mark Henry, um, which was interesting. Simultaneously as well. Yeah, very interesting spot there. Um, and he's all over Sean and Cena here, taking the offense to both of them. Before number 26, it's Jack Swagger, who goes in and suplexes everybody in the ring. Um, clothesline Shawn Michaels, who hooks an arm on the ropes to stay in, because it's a clothesline over the ropes. Very impressive spot there. That must take A, strength, and B, balls to try it, knowing that your elimination's a big storyline in this match. Mm-hmm. At number 27, it's Kofi Kingston, who comes in and flips out Jack Swagger, then R-Truth, before number 28, Y2J comes in. Um, he attacks Cena, but gets hit with the AA, and Ashore Michael's top rope elbow, and then Kofi hits Trouble in Paradise before Cena tosses Kofi out of the ring. I completely forgot about how Michael Cole used to always go on about his controlled frenzy. No, so stupid. (laughs) Makes no sense. And then at number 29, we get a returning very, very uh, early from injury to a big pop from the crowd. It is Edge. Yeah, great surprise. Yeah, it was an awesome surprise. He comes in and spears everybody in the ring before tossing Jericho out, and the crowd are mega pumped for this. It's brilliant. I will say, you, you can tell he's 
got he's come back a bit early though. Yeah, he's pretty he's pretty slender looking here, isn't he? Yeah, he'd never quite get back into the same sort of shape he was before his tendon injury. But um, yeah, definitely a nice surprise though. I this is one of, probably one of the few Rumble matches I hadn't seen because I'm a big Royal Rumble fan, and I've even when I wasn't watching, I've been back and watched most of them. But this one, curiously, I hadn't seen, so it was very interesting to see that. But from there, we get number thirty, and it is Batista who comes in to join Edge, Cena, and Shawn Michaels as the final four. It's not often the thirtieth uh, man comes out to join three other competitors, and you're straight away down to your final four. He nails John Cena, Shawn Michaels, and then eats a spear from Edge. Uh, Cena hits the AA on edge. Um, Sean takes over with some top rope elbows to Batista and Cena. Then also sweet your music before Edge hits the cactus clothesline, but they both land on the apron. Neither of them go to the floor. Shawn Michaels super kicks Edge, which sends him back into the ring. And Batista runs in and just knocks Michaels off the apron, who frenziedly tries to grab the ropes and sells the disappointment of his dream being dashed in a very cool elimination spot. Yeah, I mentioned in our... Rumble episode this year. This is probably my favourite elimination in the history of the Royal Rumble. Just the the agony on it's just so agonising and wonderful. You know how frantic Sean is to stay in, and again, it looks kind of realistic. Yeah, that's the word I was going to use. Uh, you know, two moments in this pay per view where you could say, "Yeah, that is what would happen." Yeah. He then nails a referee on the outside, gets back in the ring. Charles Robinson gets in the ring and tries to get him out, and he goes nuts and nails Charles Robinson with sweet chin music. So, very, very cool. Little Nate made the mistake of asking, what do you want me to do about it? Bang. <laughs> Cena ducks Batista charging at him at the ropes, so Batista's gone, and then Edge makes pretty short work of John Cena, who goes on to uh, Edge, that is, win the Royal Rumble in his return match in a very good, uh, quick, free-flowing Royal Rumble that didn't really have many dull moments to speak of. This, to me, is how a Rumble should be booked. The only thing I will say is, other than Edge, um, I probably like about three or four surprises in a Rumble for my ideal booking, uh, just to break up the duller moments of the match. But this one definitely ranks up there with one of the more fun Rumbles I've watched. Definitely super, super fun watch. Um, I mean, in terms of surprises, it really was only Beth and Edge. But, like you say, the flow to it was really, really good. Had a really great mix of stars that were, you know, those people there who would be gone in a year or two, so it's nice to kind of see them all together whilst they're still here. The Rumble's typically an hour long, and it's one of those matches where if it's not a good Rumble, you're checking the time quite regularly. This is one I ate up in one sitting without making a second thought. It seemed to go past in about 15 minutes to me. That's the mark of a good Rumble. Mm. So that's not the end of the of uh, sorry that is the end of the show for the Royal Rumble. So early thoughts on the Rumble. What did you think? Quite a good show. The middle portion didn't really do anything for me. Literally, um, like in between the opener and Ray and Taker's match, yep. it was basically just a three match show, really. Um, but yeah, they they basically just loaded the Rumble and. It paid off in terms of the rumble. The undercard suffered a little bit, but still quite happy watching this. Yeah, it was. Um, I have to say, this made for two pretty good back-to-back shows. Um, it's not often outside of the odd Raw and Nitro that I get through two pay-per-views that I was happy for having gone back and watched both of them and thought both of them were a solid investment of time, not just for the podcast but for entertainment value. So. That's both shows in the bag. We go to the the final segment here where we've got to pick ourselves a winner. 
And as usual, we've got the five categories. Um, so we'll each give our, our pick here and then we'll tally it all up and see who the overall champion of the night is. First category, we're going to go with production value. Who did you have? I gave WWE the edge here. Impact didn't really feel like it had a lot um Nothing in particular was going wrong, just, you know, everything just looked a lot better in WWE. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's always going to be an uphill battle to, to go against WWE for production. Uh, TNA, the only real downside, as I talked about a couple of times, was the camera. The the fast exchange of camera shots just all the time uh, didn't do much for me. Outside of that, WWE was its typical flawless self on pay-per-view, so they get the win. Um, storylines. Who did you go with for storylines? Again, probably WWE very narrowly here. Um Loads of TNA's storylines are kind of these like weird outsiders coming into the company that, you know, what are they really going to add and stuff? Yeah. Whereas WWE, you had CM Punk preaching to people, you had Shawn Michaels desperate to get back at The Undertaker and... Yeah, the legacy stuff was kind of intrigued as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think another... Well, this might be more of a nod to production value as well. I agree with you, WWE, for storylines. I think their video packages always put you in the moment so having having said that I, I wasn't really watching it this time this was pretty much my end game here every match you could tell what the feud was over why it was and what point of the feud you were in before the match started and that's one of wwe's key strengths and also it definitely showed that everything we saw there was an investment in whereas some of the tna stuff they were just matches not really any rhyme or reason so for that reason wwe wins storylines just by having one for everyone and yet the stories in the rumble itself were quite good as well I suppose that's just a symptom of having this fresh start. Yeah. In a sense. Yeah, I guess so. Um, that That's definitely got a lot to, to say as well. The next category is going to be characters. Um, it's a tough one, this, I think, because the Rumble typically gets more people on the show than any other show but Mania. But who do you think featured their characters better, Genesis or the Royal Rumble? Ooh, again, very narrowly the Royal Rumble. Um, similar sort of reasons to the star power, I guess. Yeah, um, I, I could have been tempted to say Genesis had Kennedy looked like a star coming out of his match. Um, for me, Kennedy needed to look like a star and Sean Morley didn't need to look like a star and they got it the wrong way around in a sense in that through no fault of the booking, Kennedy didn't come off like a big star, but Sean Morley was treated like one when he didn't need to be and they put him over at the expense of one of their guys. So for that reason, I went with WWE because all their characters, I thought, were booked to their strengths on this night. And again, it goes back to what you're saying about they were just wrestling because of wrestling. Mm. So it wasn't always that sort of interlinking feud and stuff where the character work could come out. Yeah, definitely. Crowd Heat, which way did you go? I'm tempted to say, well, actually, no, sorry, WWE, because a lot of the TNA crowd heat was kind of to the detriment because, you know, they weren't really booking the right show in at certain points for the crowd in attendance. Sometimes the sim- simplest answer is the best, and WWE had six, 16 <laughs> times as many people. <laughs> so you can't really go against it, can you? So, TNA's only saving grace was some of the quality of matches they're able to put on. Was it enough to tempt you to give them a win, or did you still stick with the Royal Rumble for the match quality on the evening? No, I did go for TNA here. Yeah, I thought they were much more consistent throughout the show. There was only really Kennedy's match that was awful. 
for a couple of like middle of the road matches on TNA show was well beside that, but the, the quality in, in general was really really good. WWE, like I was saying, they loaded it all for the Rumble really. So beside Ray and Taker's match was really was very good, although a bit brief. And Christian's carry job was quite entertaining as well. But yeah, um, the t- like the two best matches from this pairing was the Rumble match and AJ versus Kurt. And yeah, I thought AJ versus Kurt kind of had the edge. Yeah, I'd probably go with TNA, but I think I had it a little bit closer than you did because I thought oh, I would agree with you on, on that, but then I think the third best match was Ray and Taker for me. So it's very close. I probably would side with TNA because Kurt and AJ is the best match on the show, uh, on either show. And also I think the um, the Desmond Wolf pimped uh pope de niro was quite good and the opener on tna i think was probably slightly better than the opener in, in wwe although they were quite close um very close but yeah i think tna probably edged it but um looking at this we've got sort of four wwe wins and a tna solo win each so it's pretty clear the rumble edged out the win on the on the well i keep saying the night but they weren't on the same night but edged out the win for january's pay-per-views in 2010 any overall thoughts on the both shows, or you think that's a pretty fair reflection? Uh, I kind of thought it was a bit tighter than that, really. Um, yes, it's just, um, again, knowing what's coming, it's a sense of dread I have with holding and Bischoff there that's kind of holding me back from enjoying TNA as, as much as perhaps I should. I, I love the way you say knowing what's coming, because it actually dawned on me the other day. Um, for those of you that listen to our, our previous shows, you know we're going to run through the um, the Impact versus Raw, and I didn't realise how many shows there were. So we've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine episodes of Impact we have to do for this run. Nine. Yeah. So um. Oh, hang on a second. Yes, nine, because that's oh, I've already taken out the one we did already. <laughs> So it runs from the 8th of March 2010 all the way to the 3rd of May. So nine separate weeks. Um, That's what we've got coming up as well. So no surprises there. Are you looking forward to diving into the proper Monday Night War? It's really going to be very intriguing, yes. Uh, Do you you by chance know, I don't know the answer to this, how long those Impact and Raw shows are? Uh, They should all be both two hours. Raw might have... There might be at least one three-hour Raw. The TNA proper debut on Monday might be three hours. I'm not sure. Okay, so there's there's, there's not going to be all three-hour shows. That's okay with me. I, I can live with that. Um, so, yeah, that's what you and I have coming up in in the near future. What if, um, Anything else you want to plug other than the, the episode you and Kyle dropped yesterday, which is awesome? Um, any Anything else you want to plug before we head out? Well, I'm just... Um, as we mentioned, Music of the Mat Fair podcast, really, really good part of the Voices of Wrestling Network. Um, go ahead and try and seek them out. It's just really a good show dissecting music in wrestling. I, I, when I heard about the um, the Music of the Mat podcast, it was one of them ones where I thought, oh, that could be interesting. I'm not sure the longevity, but it could be good. Their Undertaker episode, I would strongly recommend to anyone. That was a big Undertaker mark again, but his music transformation over the years has been awesome and they go into far more detail than i could ever tell you i'm not musically inclined but yeah that's that's an awesome episode that i can strongly recommend yeah they're fantastic and yeah as far as reaching me and kyle and stuff goes uh, twitter's the easiest place we're at tnw podcast and you can find all of our episodes on soundcloud i've got a big playlist of all of our episodes so far including our 
uh, little guest shows here. Yeah, awesome. Have you? Are you guys doing a WrestleMania episode? We should be. Yes, we just our most recent episode was Elimination Chamber and Fastlane all in one take. And I strongly recommend you go and listen to that. Um, I've said many times on the podcast here that then now whatever is pretty much my favourite wrestling podcast out there at the moment. So it's well worth checking out. And I can tell you, if you haven't yet, everyone that listens to this show that's checked it out has all given good feedback. So definitely been well received by everyone that that likes what we do here. That's much appreciated, Lee. Really, you've been tremendous to us. Anytime. Um, thank you again for coming on the show. Uh, obviously, we're going to work up some time in the future to get through this Monday Night War, which should be very exciting. As for myself, I've got a lot going on at the moment, so keep your ears tuned for this. Um, if you didn't catch me on the Raw Attitude podcast, go and listen to that one. Uh, very enjoyable show, that was. Next show out after this one will be the 96 Royal Rumble up against the January 96 Clash of the Champions, myself and Carl. And then myself and Richie are going to be going back and doing some 80s wrestling. Um, not sure the format that's going to take yet, but it's looking like a lot of mixed companies, AWA, World Class, WWF, a lot of good stuff coming up. Um, as always, you can catch me on Twitter, Facebook, uh, via email or on 4CR. And that will do it for today. Um, we're recording this Thursday night, my time, and it should be out sometime in the next couple of days, hopefully by the weekend, once we've put in all the um, taken out the jumping on each other's toes and put in the, the bits of music and stuff we need to do. So for, awesome. for myself, thank you very much. Uh, Duncan, thank you for coming on once again. Awesome pleasure once again. Keep up the good work, Lee. Awesome. And I will speak to you all again very soon. Since Big ain't here, I'm about to do it for Tiana And put roses on the grave of Kanye's mama This for all the lost girls, locked up in the pen All the girls that hold it down, getting beat on by man Respect women, I don't care if they're two or ten We don't beat on cash stacks, we just bring it to an end And we don't want to see Nikki fighting Lil' Kim It's missing women out there, let's just focus on them this song is dedicated to Natalie Holloway I feel for a daddy, so I wrote this on Father's Day I know she gone, but she ain't far away I just had a daughter pass me that cigar, yay I'm about to tell a story, everybody parlay Sit back, listen, while I kick it the Compton Boulevard way My daddy used to beat up on my mama all day So I took my chronic album and slept in the hallway I learned this the hallway, when police came our way My daddy had us acting like it never happened Broadway Plus I was kinda scared to keep it real with ya Now my mama good, nigga she ain't gotta deal with ya You want some money, nigga I ain't get a deal with ya You ain't saying nothing, you like a still picture You better thank God you still breathing air Cause you coulda went out like your boy Steve McNair
But I bet I could be if you make me yours And most of the shit I say is true When I'm done with bad bitches Know I'm coming straight to you, good girl I'm sitting here watching basketball wives Like, uh, them is basketball wives Only cute one, Gloria, that's my nigga Matt Barnes chick Can't swim in that pool, fool, that's a crucial conflict Never sleep with the wife of niggas you eat with And never buy a chick a bag on the first date I pop a bottle with her on her birthday And tell her ass, get on Disrespect my chick, that type of shit that get you spit on I don't hit on girls, I just hit on girls Like, hey, little mama, come and game in Drizzy World Get busy, girl, drink that rosé to your dizzy, girl She walking around the club all lost, like, where is he, girl? He on the top of the charts next to Beyonce Right under Kanye, so let the dime spray That's your girl, nigga, go and make her cry Soon as you do, I'm pulling up in that Porsche, like, let's ride Stand, at least you got herself a man And that's my nigga Swizzy Know you see game and drizzy Surrounded by them diamonds I'm a cold Mac And nigga, it's a cold climate Don't ask me what a crime went Just tell me where them dimes went So I can get them fitted Let them be the bridesmaids At the wedding for my niggas Yeah, I'm married to the gang And she married to my chain Watching boys in the hood Let's take a drive down memory lane